small-time indie filmmaker walks into a bar and meets with another small-time indie filmmaker to discuss their local films, the film scene, and how to make movies in Tampa, Florida. You get the film bar review. Today we discuss cinematography with Brandon Hyde. How's it going, Tim? What's up, John? How you doing? Doing great, man. Good to well, see you, buddy. We usually have directors and producers and people, but now we have a cinematographer, Brandon Hyde. Brandon D. Hyde on IMDb. Yeah. So, how you doing, Brandon? <laughs> good, man, good. Hanging out with you guys. Getting away from working kids for a little bit. Talk yeah. About some, <laughs> talk about movies and Thank you. myself. Getting away from commercial stuff for a Getting while. Getting away from the commercial stuff a little bit, which, you know, it's pays the bills. And, yeah, man. And I'm good at it, and people like what I do, so... That's great. Yeah. No, that's the way to go, man. It's cool. Glad to have you, man. Thanks Thank for coming you. on. Yeah, thanks for having me. My wife works at HSN, so I'm I'm used to some of that. Yep. You I know, worked for them for a little bit, like three or four times, and then after that, I was kind of like, ah. it's not my style. <laughs> yeah. So when you say commercial stuff, Brandon, what are you talking mm-hmm. about specifically? Um. So, I mean, I do stuff for Outback. Uh, a lot of the bake, um, almost all of the bake care stuff. Um, I shoot. Shoot for them. I was uh, just yesterday doing a study cam on an even Marcus commercial. Uh, then a couple other study cam jobs around. Next week I'm working on a lightning, uh, the like the player intros, stuff like that. So more corporate, um, not not necessarily like corporate like training or anything like that, but more like companies companies have something they want to advertise. They'll hire an agency. I work with the agency and their directors to, you know, to put it on. So it's nothing, none of it's, um, you know, it's not for movies. It's not, it's not, no. they're script based, but they're trying to sell you something. Yeah. It's not, yeah. it's, you know, it's not for mm-hmm. the, the full art of it, which we can still, we still get creative doing it, but. Um, I'm sure. Yeah, it's. Yeah. Uh, now do these air on TV or is it more like internet stuff, like ads or. Just depends on, you know, and some of them are national, some of them are local, Mm -hmm. um, some are just web-based, some are uh, web, local, (laughs) national, like, it just, you know, it really, uh, I don't even really get that much into that part of it, because I'm just there to make the best product that I can, and then wherever it goes beyond that, I just, I just let it, (laughs) let it go. That's cool, man. So we could start from the beginning, like, uh, what possessed you <laughs> to pick up the camera and uh, say, this is my life? Um, so I grew up in, uh, in a small town in Tennessee, uh, mm-hmm. kind of on a, on a small farm. Uh, my, my dad would, my dad uh, now, and all, and has always been in like the trucking industry, but now he's the COO for for a medium-sized trucking uh, company. And my mom cool. has always been like sometimes stay at home, but then she was also like a real estate appraiser. But then she was a quilter. But then she designed T-shirts. So she's always been yeah, kind I know of what you're about. Yeah. you know whatever we mm-hmm. had to do. But we had there were four kids. Um, I'm the oldest, but I'm 16 years older than my sister. Wow, yeah. So there's a large, but there was at one point, all four of us were right. at home. Right, a short um, time there. 
yeah for for a couple of years uh so she you know she dad's the one who works and then mom is the one who who tries to do the family stuff yeah um so that was kind of a you know for me that was the environment that i grew up in my dad's a mechanic he's very like my dad can fix anything and everything mm. he's been working on big rig trucks since he was 15 years old i mean he's done they my parents have flipped houses on the side like very good oh, work yeah. ethic from them as well yeah man and then my mom's side of the family have always been artistic um she, my mom does the quilting and now she's gotten a little bit older she's much more into painting and photography uh, my so grandmother like you put was the a two painter. together yeah you, so you get uh so I get a cinematography. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So the technical take, and the artistic. Yeah. So yeah. I, that's one reason. That's one reason I ended up doing what I do is those were two fully developed parts of my brain. Mm-hmm. And if I, you know, you like take that quiz, it's like, are you left brain or right brain? I'm literally 50-50. I am too. So it's, yeah, so it's kind <laughs> of a, like. Actually, I'm probably more like 51 49. Yeah, but, so like, you know, you. you <laughs> no, really. That's, that's, that's yeah, totally. Come on, buddy. <laughs> you, hey, that's the left about, side of it. Yeah. <laughs> don't talk uh, about hairs, man. That's right. Because I, I got on, on top of my head. Um, so, yeah, so that was kind of the basis. Um, mm-hmm. I grew up playing sports, and really art wasn't. Part of my, I wanted to be a professional baseball player. Like, that's what I wanted to do mm-hmm. since I was like a little kid. Um, Schools often don't lead to the arts. Yeah, no, no. So, which is a shame, I think. So there was a girl, uh, and I kind of got involved with what she was getting involved with. It, it all starts with a girl. Always starts with a girl. <laughs> um, well, first it was his mom, but then yeah, yeah, later on. Yeah, um, <laughs> and she was doing like. Uh, what they called forensics, which was like competitive acting. So like you would rehearse, and then you would go to a, one of the high schools around the the area. Mm-hmm. All the all the other high schools would go there, and you would compete from your scenes or your improv or whatever for cool. for that day. And so that kind of started. But then also my best friend picked up playing guitar. My best friend's a very interesting person, and he, so he started picking up guitar. So I was like, ah, maybe I should. So I also picked up that. Awesome. Then I also kind of yeah. got cinemato- or, uh, photography, so like it all started it, kind of, in my yeah. teens is kind of when I started to um, gel into something. Yeah, kind of yeah. started taking that artistic path. Um, then I went to school. Uh, didn't do very well. <laughs> was, you and me both, man. <laughs> I was kind of distracted. Um, mm-hmm. And then, so that's how I, after doing two different schools, and having like two or three different majors, I decided um, to move to Florida. And the girl that had started the the acting stuff, like mm-hmm. she worked up with me, and I was like, all right, I'm moving on. Yeah, moving on. I, I was yeah. born here, but I grew up in Tennessee. My grandparents were down here. I'm gonna go hang out with them for a little bit, work at their cool. trucking company because that's what they had they had run one since 1952. Um, and then, but oh, I got involved yeah. in the church started mm-hmm. doing some of that stuff uh, and then they kind of let me do whatever I wanted like in terms of like creating media I've heard this is a good end for Christian cinematographers and yeah. directors is yeah working for a church they have often make videos for the weekends yeah, so that's or whatever kind of what I started doing so like and and I was uh, what was his name uh, Glover yeah, well, that's where Matt and I Glover met. Was, oh, nice. Yeah. In, in the same church. In the same church. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and became good friends there. Uh, and then 
it just kind of started snowballing from that. The school I was at, I was uh, at Southeastern in Lakeland, um, mm -hmm. and I was doing uh, I was doing music and theater there. Mm -hmm. But then I started helping my, my friends that I was making there make short films, and I was like, cool. "This is this is where I want to be." And so yeah. when I changed my major to film, and then I went to LA for for a semester and then came back and then I just at that point I knew what a cinematographer or a DP was right and I was like that's and ever, so that was 2009 2010 and ever since then like that's been the that's been that's the path. great man what what um you were in LA for a semester what did you acquire there like knowledge wise or? um honestly it was just more about relationships mm -hmm. um, I made some of my best friends there people that I fully you know that I respect their work um and just almost like a sense of confidence of like okay i'm in I la can do this i can do this yeah. like i had i had i was already married at that point so coming back to florida was part of part of the journey mm -hmm. um and starting and just doing like weddings and you know small events to kind of build up uh doing that so it just gave me the confidence of all right i can yeah. I can actually do this and within two years I was full-time you know as a full-time self-employed wow. doing my own thing that's great man it's a good story I, I, I wish I had had enough I had gone enough places to build my confidence in that way mm. like for me it was like a lot of hard knocks and to where I would build confidence and then go somewhere and then get knocked down again and mm. build confidence and go somewhere else and get knocked <laughs> down again and so, um, you know, whether it was law or whether it was actually music, I was interested in music for a while, uh, and a few other things. Um, I did like nuclear pharmaceutical stuff for a while. <laughs> like I did a variety of things. And then, hey, what? I met a girl, oh, yeah. just like you, right? Yep. And then she was actually. This is like a few years. I was a few years older than her, and she was in in high school still, almost to graduate. And then, uh, but she was. Um, in like me like not musical theater but kind of like theater stuff where you work backstage mm -hmm. but she, but her final project was to make a movie mm. which is really great because it was an art art artsy high school uh, i don't know if you've heard of it in, in st pete it's uh, gibbs high school they have a okay, yeah. arts program mm -hmm. and um so i actually my older brother had gone there so i knew about it uh before but um so the, i actually helped her make this film and, uh, you know, I had been learning about music, electronic music at the time. It was called electronic music. It's funny. Um, and basically they created music like a nonlinear editor. It's the same mm. kind of thing, like editing. And uh, so when, she, when I saw her doing it, I was like, oh, yeah, I know about this. You know, I can help you get. So I helped her gather the music together for her project, basically. And um, after that, it was just like... This is really, <laughs> yep. like, this is something I could do, you know? I don't know if I could do it, like, on a practical level, like, am I going to make money or am I going to actually make a film? But it was like, this is something that's, that's possible. Yeah. yeah, or something I would enjoy doing. Yeah, I remember doing the film classes and then reading, like, the different crew positions, and I read Cinematographer mm -hmm. and, like, the description of that. And I looked at my wife, and I was like, that's that's what I want because hey, yeah. I'd done like directing and you know whatnot and I was eh, it's kind of but then I read what a cinematographer, director, photography, DP, whatever you want to call it. Like mm -hmm. I read what 
their job title was and I was like that is that's it you get to focus yep on this thing yep that primarily is what film's about yep you know and you know this Tim like being a UCF guy you know like um, it's mostly a visual medium you know film and um, and a lot of and yet so many people don't focus on that you know in making their film, they don't focus on making getting good images. They, you know, they focus on a lot of other things, um, the soundtrack or something. You know, like they're focusing on all these different things, but they're not thinking about framing, and they're not thinking about lighting, and they're not thinking about you know, like what that yeah, no. says. Yeah, I mean, you know. they're considering. You know, always feels more so they're concerned about what's taking place in front of the camera as opposed right. to like how you are orchestrating this in front of the camera mm-hmm. and how it moves. Yeah. You know, well, tone of the mood the scene right. is you know it's it's like they're trying to nail down what they think a movie is and it takes a little while to dig in and get to that point where you really start to see them for what they are mm-hmm. and the beauty of the film and just how it how it moves and how you know the blocking the, the lighting the you know just how you push in or pull it you know how you're going to cut it together all those kind of things that's definitely you get to that point you don't start there necessarily when you first step into I think right. trying to make film you know? so for you to kind of land on that early on is it's impressive hats off to you man yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's a whole nother side of it all but it's you know, that was like you were talking about like really tone and look of film mm-hmm. of the film like that was always what I cared about the most mm-hmm. and then however the actors were delivering it yeah. it's like okay fine like, it great. doesn't really matter it doesn't, <laughs> just shut up and let me shoot this sounds please, good okay? to me be yeah. quiet stand there play with that and let me Set do your my line, freaking do job let me do yeah, my you know? thing yeah so yeah that's yeah. you know and and like I have a lot of experience now I've been doing it for 10 years and people will ask me like hey do you want to direct no I have no interest um I'm very similar to you in the sense that it's like I, it's good to focus on something and not try to do everything yourself because a lot of independent filmmakers try to do a lot of things themselves. It's tiring. <laughs> yeah. And mostly, I think mentally it's tiring, you know, to, to juggle all these different plates or whatever. Um, so I don't prefer to shoot anything myself, you know, like, so I defer to people like you. Um, I've worked with um, Darren Murphy mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know if you know Wheat Buckley mm-hmm. yeah I worked with those were my cinematographers for my only two films I've shot I've, I've made myself but um, but I really respect your work oh, I, re- I really like your work and uh, should we shoot this film by ourselves <laughs> we have a little you can't see it as the podcaster people pod people but I'm, I'm holding a, uh, this is a G- DGI OM4, I think. Or they used to call them Osmos. Whatever, yeah, whatever they call them now. And now this is an OM4. And uh, <laughs> me and Tim have been talking about doing a uh, feature. Um, it wasn't going to be a feature first. I think it was going to be a short first. But we saw this film called Relics on YouTube. You showed me, Tim. It's a great, great little film. Uh, think two South African dudes go to Tokyo and shoot a film, basically. Yeah. Uh, spend a year in Tokyo and shoot there, a film. You know, th- or maybe they do it's still. I, don't I know, think they were they, probably English teachers. They are. Um, hmm. like or something. They are South African. 
Yeah, South Africa. They got a little yeah. YouTube channel, so that's how I'd call one of them, just little mm -hmm. videos and mm -hmm. posts and shit. And then it was like, I like to see when somebody who puts that kind of content out there, like, mm -hmm. oh, five rules for this, or, you know, what to consider when doing that. Right. So it was cool to see that they actually put something out there. They actually made they something made real. Yeah. yeah. You know, so it was like, all right, I'll check this out. And put it on and... It's actually pretty I damn good. Got all the way through it. Yeah. Know, got to the end of it, That's, which is more yeah, it's than a good you sign. can say about a lot of freaking movies out there, mm -hmm. you know, on YouTube. So, that yeah, was quality, I thought. You know, pretty solid. You know, obviously, loose handheld kind of, you know, I don't know, new wave kind of feel to it a, a bit, you know, but yeah, also kind of Yeah, a little bit. Black and white, know? you know. Yeah, black it's and white. personal, intimate piece. Relationships. Yeah. You know. And the and the and the Tokyo as a backdrop is always going to be yeah. great. You Which know? those kind of movies—that's one thing I will say about that type of thing. It's hard to shoot something like that in nature or in right. a rural area. They gets really old. thrive on that yeah. man-made landscape. The lines, right. the mm -hmm. light. They always yeah. have. Mm -hmm. You know, you go back to freaking Godard and Truffaut. I mean, they're in Paris. Most of those films are yeah. something. It gives it energy. Right. It allows for those kind of awkward cuts and because the world is always still sort of happening around them, you know. Mm -hmm. it's, there's something that takes place, you know, in a cityscape for that type of film, I think, more than maybe out in a rural area. Right. You know, Although the things that they had going for them, um, the in-depth cine guys, I guess you could call them. Yeah, right, that's their um, channel. The thing they had going for them is uh, they both went to film school together, right, in South Africa, I think. And one so of them was a cinematographer, and the other one was more of a writer-director. Uh, or director, right? yeah. One the, of them is in the The director is also the actor. Oh, okay. I'm pretty sure, yeah. So that, they made a great team, obviously, you yeah. know? And the yeah, cinematographer sure. is pretty damn good. I mean, he's, he knows what he's doing. Dude, I mean, they got some nice stuff. You know, you can't, you know, they found really, like you say, uh, you know, intimate moments, but also just... I don't want to say like iconic type moments, but just really clever moments between people and interactions mm -hmm. and what takes place in everyday life between human beings. And, right. You know, on a particular day when maybe the stakes are raised a little bit. Yeah. You know, they find that way of doing that without overdoing that. Right. And weaving different storylines into it all at the mm -hmm. same time. You know, other people come in and come out. And it felt to me like they were creating. Pretty, pretty good. Man. They were creating sort of tension in relationships. Yeah. Yeah, for you sure. Know, like kind of leads organic down the line kind of, of tension. Yeah. yeah. But even just when they have those little moments of a few together having a good time, they captured it in a pretty, I don't know. I'm trying to, I'm kind of at a loss for words for trying to explain. I hadn't even thought about this movie in a while. But anyhow, pretty good. Man. Yeah, good it's, it's almost, I mean, it, it feels. I, one of the things I love about it is because it is in Tokyo, it almost feels like it's drawing from the old Tokyo master, or the Japanese masters, yeah. that were like, you know, it's not a Kurosawa film, obviously, but it's like, because of the black and whiteness as well, it's like it's really drawing from some old history that I think really brings pathos into it. I don't know. Um, and then obviously there's other things, like you were talking about the French New Wave, it's got kind of the energy from the street there and um, it feels a little bit documentarian as well like it's got a, kind of a, an authenticity yeah. to it you know yeah, definitely you're like a fly in the wall a it doesn't bit. feel rehearsed like at all I don't I wonder if it wasn't rehearsed at all you know 
which is part of actually what um, inspired me to make this a mumblecore film. I don't know if you've ever heard of mumblecore, mm -hmm. but obviously it's since you know about it, it's uh, it's not not kind of a, a scripted thing. It's very kind of like you get a main idea of what this these characters are doing, who they are, and then the director kind of guides the actors in a certain direction, but they don't he doesn't give them a script, so it's improvised and just very fresh in that way, um, and. So I think it takes a certain kind of person, both as an actor and a director, uh, and probably as a cinematographer as well, to be like, um, you know, to make it, to, to yes, it's gonna be fresh, but to also make it look professional. Because some stuff, when it's not rehearsed, it's like, I don't know what's gonna happen. I don't know how to turn this into a shot that has any pathos or feeling to it. So you kind of so it's very kind of improvised in that way. I think a lot of times you can get, oh, like it's all a surprise. You know, like some people talk about how oh we got some happy surprises mm -hmm. or happy mistakes you, you might call them. Happy accidents. Happy accidents. There you go. That's actually what I was looking. At. Yeah, happy accidents. <laughs> You're right. Um, but in this case, it's like it's all an accident. So it's like, can you channel that kind of tendency? To get to to keep getting happy accidents, uh, or do we have to have so much control that it's, you know, it it, it almost can take the happiness out of it, basically. Um, so yeah, there's some concerns we have, but I think it's, I think we're getting we're moving along to making it something interesting. I think a lot's going to come down on your cast, man. Yeah, you know, it's going to come down on the people in the yeah. screen. That's yeah. where those kind of movies. I mean, it's not the only place, but they live and die with the people on screen. Yep. You know? It just does. Plain and simple. You know, you yeah. look at, like, Cassavetti's stuff, you know, mm -hmm. the group of people he worked with, you know, or, you, you know, into the new wave stuff, like different, you know, like Breathless or, you know, shit, man. I just watched 400 Blows for the first time. This oh, yeah. be the real, like grandfather of it all, mm -hmm. you know, of that. But even wind the clocks back into the neorealists, I mean, they had people in front of the camera that just sold every minute of it. Burned up every the second screen. Of it, yeah. You know? Like bicycle thieves or mm -hmm. freaking uh, Rome Open City. Shit like that. Movies that just you know, as rough and tumble as they are, there's still something that's taking place. You you get the gist of it. It's very rough you know, how they had to try to make these movies and mm -hmm. what they had to use to try to make them but the people that are on screen just sell it 100%. They rip your heart out, man, right. at times, you know? Right. And just, it's it's a tricky, you know, it's kind of freaks me out a little bit. Give yeah. that much control, you know what I mean? I know. Like it, the it, performers, yeah. you know, because you got to, they got to sell it, man. You mm -hmm. know? That's, that's tough, man. That's going to be a little hurdle to climb, but, you know, or a little mountain to climb, maybe. <laughs> yeah. But worth it, you know, because I think that they are interesting films, man, and they mm -hmm. can, you know, they're like, they're energetic, and they kind of, they're the type of movie that will send you out and want to go do something, like, immediately. Mm -hmm. Like, as soon as the titles hit, it's like, you want to get out the door and go pick up a camera and go shoot some shit. Right. You know? You're not going to sit and really, like, damn, wow. <laughs> <laughs> What does that mean? It's like, yeah. let's go do it, man. You know, right? Who can I call? Get on the phone, and start calling your buddies. You know, mm -hmm. let's go make something. So they're fun movies, and they're they're valuable. I think, you know. Yeah. 
Whereas, like, I kind of lean more to more like compositional, formal type films, but I can't deny the, the I, I don't know, the kinetic energy, like mm-hmm. what that has, the effect that it has on you as like a filmmaker, or, you know, somebody who mm-hmm. wants to do this shit too, what that then does to you. Those right. movies are extremely valuable for that me, even though maybe that's it. not like what I then, uh, you know, channel and like how yeah. I then go about it, but they, they invigorate. This, the the fighting spirit, you know, you right. want to go get something, man. Yeah, go do something. Tell Anyhow, a story. I got a little sidetracked. No, it's, it's awesome, man. Throw you off there. So I guess the concern for me is, uh, are we going to be able to shoot this ourselves? Yeah. Uh, and if not, can we call on you <laughs> <laughs> to save us? Cinema Bring your airy. No, yeah. we, we wouldn't want to change the visual style of it, but yeah, I mean. Uh, but if, if you frame much better than us, then we'll just scrap all the stuff we did. Yeah. <laughs> that was something I wanted to ask you, Brandon. Yeah. So, like, let's say you're getting into a feature and you're working with a director. Mm-hmm. So, what, who handles in your world, like, the compositions and, say, the, the way the camera moves through a scene if you have, like, blocking or you're, you're doing something? Like, who's, who's more, like, driving that ship? Is that you or is that the director? I... Depends. It depends. Okay, yeah. So a lot of what I do before I do a movie is I'll have several hour-long conversations with the director. What does this look like? Right. What are the influences? Because so in a way, the director still has hold of that. Like mm-hmm. that's their playground. Mm-hmm. But my job is to take that out of their brain and then put it on, put it on the screen. Yeah, make it so. Real. Sometimes I'm the one setting the blocking. I, I, as me, the way I like to work, I like to be part of the blocking. Of course, mm-hmm. you want. Yeah, yeah, I get that 100%. So That's in great. the composition, you know, I'm always, you know. You kind of have to be. Yeah. yeah. But, but I'm open to, you know, whatever the director kind of, you know, the directors I've enjoyed working with the most have a really good sense of what they want their actors to do and then have given me so much background information, they just let me do what I want to do and those are the films that I have found that I've enjoyed personally working on the most yeah, um, yeah. if they don't have a good grasp of what they want it to look like and then I gotta make it up you know and so mm-hmm. I have to go in prepared to and generally I'm gonna know that because I've already talked right. to them so much I'm gonna know what their approach is before we even get on set so I'm not caught off off guard yeah so do you kind of expect a certain amount of ground um, work to be done first? Yeah, I, I yeah. mean, my biggest thing is send me references. Send me paintings, send me photos, send me mm-hmm. music, send me movies, send me yeah. your favorite books that you, know, you kind of have, uh, that you read that inspires you to, oh, to wow. do this. Like, yeah. I need to know what you're thinking so that I can pull right. it out and put it on screen. Yeah. Um, and then from there, they make the shot list, I make the shot list. We don't make a shot list because that's, that's too constraining for them. Um, you know, we'll storyboard it sometimes. It just mm-hmm. depends on how much time I got, what their work process is. You know, I like to be, I like to be very prepared. I like shot lists. I like storyboards, but I don't always have time to do them. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes I'll do, I did them for one of the movies I shot. I shot listed the whole movie. By the third day, it was out the window because we mm-hmm. didn't have the time to to do that. You know, so we should talk about one of your films. So, probably your first feature was that Paradise, right? Paradise, mm-hmm. Florida. 
I was really impressed with Paradise. Yeah, I I think it's a very you know especially for it's a really good film. Visually, yeah. it's powerful. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's those sunsets, man. Yeah. Goodness gracious. Thank you, Florida. That was beautiful, <laughs> wasn't it, Tim? Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. we we were wa- we were watching it together here actually uh, Friday, last Friday, and uh, I was like. I was like, you know, you know, you start a film, you're like, you can give it or take it, you know, you can take it or yeah. leave it, and then, and I'm, and I'm just like, okay, I'm, I'm invested in these characters first of all. Mm-hmm. Like I was pretty early on, I was like, this is kind of uh, upsetting, you know, and and then the visuals start hitting. These mm-hmm. different visuals. He goes out on the boat, the sunset, and then, and there's there's also the squalor of Florida, and and some of those things that yeah, kind we, of impress we try not you. To um, glorify Florida. Yeah. Like, you know, the glitzy beaches and South Beach and right. Miami and like, you know. No, you guys Destin pulled it off. And like, we yeah. wanted, like, this is how. The, gr- the grungy stuff. Yeah, this is, yeah. you know. The real life stuff. Where we shot was in Cortez, Florida, and that's like one of the oldest fishing communities mm. in America. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, I think that was just kind of channeled that, like, Mm-hmm. You know the the flats that we were shooting. Like, yeah, we built a very strong visual sense of what Florida felt like. Mm-hmm. I it was a modern day film, but it always felt to me like the story was kind of timeless. Like, yeah, like, but it felt like yeah. such like an eighties aesthetic, mm-hmm. but just in a modern. You know, because they had cell phones and and all that. But that's just sure. kind of. But, you know, people that live like that, like, they kind of have to live behind the times. Mm-hmm. Like, they can't have the newest cell phone. They can't have the nice right. TVs, you know. And, and it's not important to the story anyway. So. Yeah. Yeah. So th- this stuff is, is just familial and, and, friend, and, and friends. And that's, I mean, the word friends really has poignancy in this mm-hmm. story because it's like, how friendly are you as a friend? Mm-hmm. And how much are, are you willing taken, to do for your friends? Taken advantage of man, and, yeah, it really stretches you. We, I had a lot of fun. So, fun story on that film. <clears throat> I was hired six days before. Holy moly! Started. This yep. is your first feature. My first feature. Um, I had met uh, some guys, uh, Sean Greenspan and, and Ed from uh, Triforce, and I'd met them and talked to them. I think we had done a couple of projects, and they called me and like, "Hey, do you want to shoot a feature film?" Yes, that is what I want to do. And they said, okay, we start Saturday. It's like, oh. Ooh. Oh. oh. <laughs> is that how it's done, really? <laughs> um, so apparently whoever they had lined up had to oh, yes. end up with a you know a better paying job. He was like, I got I to go do this. Um, That's rough. So I got the script. I read it for like you know three days. Mm-hmm. Did as much prep as I could. And went down. We shot, uh, the houses are in Sarasota. And mm-hmm. we shot in like July. It was blazing hot. Uh-huh. And we had to turn the AC off during mm-hmm. during takes and and whatnot. And so we were, I mean, we were. We didn't have, it was a very real we sweat. Had three <laughs> or four lights and a couple of bounces. Um, mm-hmm. We shot on uh, Red Scarlet. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. Like the couple of couple of generations back, mm-hmm. and uh, Nick, the director, uh, he comes from a very documentary side of everything mm-hmm. so he wanted everything to be handheld um i fought back on certain scenes mm-hmm. it's like no we but i mean most of the movies it was okay yeah the handheld was, stuff was, 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 was yeah. handheld and that's me operating most of it um 
and had you know people I'd never worked with before and being just kind of thrown into it and mm-hmm. you know I still think that we and so I ended up becoming really good friends with Nick and Tony uh, Stopperin who cool. who wrote the film yeah um, and it's based off of uh, him a story that happened to him oh, wow. when he was in Washington so it wasn't a fisherman it mm-hmm. was an apple farmer but it was you know he wow. he transported it down here and yeah we shot it I think we had like 21 days to shoot it we just didn't have any money so right. it's a Ringling film right yeah so uh, Tony and Nick uh, had graduated from Ringling and then a lot of the, the students were uh, oh interesting crew members and and whatnot so that's one reason we were able to shoot it you know very small budget were they they were some of the money because i'm thinking like yeah because so the director and writer were former students Mm -hmm. so the probably the i'm guessing the the department head knew these guys knew they could pull it off and then was like okay we'll make a film with with this with this work and um and we'll have everybody will have their job and you know learn through that So that was movie number one. That's great. Um, Do fishermen really make a living that way? Goodness gracious. You know, scouts, fishermen, like, like, yeah, you're paid by the pound, man. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) That was like, well, really? Bastard. He's going to, you know. So the, like, one of the the things, if you actually do this for a living that you would know is the the things that he was using, they they were actually too big. For okay. you really would have them a little bit lower because of how flat our area is, but you also wouldn't right. do oyster fishing so deep here where it, it just wouldn't really work here. That's a right. little bit north. That one reason we call it Paradise, Florida, is mm-hmm. because we wanted it to be any fishing town. You right. know, could be in Florida, Alabama, yeah. Louisiana, like just kind of that. Ton- that's more mm-hmm. where you would do the oyster fishing, not necessarily in Tampa Bay. Right. But this is where we were shooting, so yeah. Yeah. And I have heard that there's scout farmers around mm-hmm. here. I don't know if it's north of us or south of us, but yeah, there's like places you can go to do that kind of yeah. thing. Um, um, but we were, you know, we were given access to the Cortez Fishing Company down there. Oh, cool. um, so that's where like some of the docks we were at mm-hmm. where we were shooting. And yeah, we just, we were smart about what time of day we were shooting certain mm-hmm. scenes and when we, you know, how we were shooting them. Um, because I had just, I was still in the the wedding industry, mm-hmm. which is you know, one take. I that's know all about you that. I so, know, yeah. You know, just learning how to use light. Um, that's really a basis for for what I do now. Mm-hmm. Is I learned to manipulate natural light. Right. And so that was the that movie based a lot of that off off of that's just awesome. my knowledge at that time. Would I go back and do it differently? One hundred percent. But at that but time, that's as much as I. It's a great film. Yeah, you know, maybe it was good that you did it that way. I mean, I, I, I think it was magnificent work, man. Thank you. And it was your first feature, so that was that's my surprising. First one. Yeah. Um, and then about a year later, I did Crazy Lake with Jason Haney and Chris mm-hmm. Lido. Yeah, um, we did. We interviewed him. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yep. And so and there's some visual stuff in that that I mean, I shot that movie in 2015, I think. And that I still love. Mm-hmm. Um, some some of it's still in my reel. Uh, that you know, at, horror films not necessarily my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, but I tried to bring like a certain beauty to it, uh, something different. Um, yeah. So that was kind of fun to figure that out. 
I never got to see that one. That one's hard to find. The distribution oh, yeah. deal for it was not as uh, not as expansive as. That's too as bad. I mean, you'd think with the subject and the genre that it would it'd be like. I mean, they they thought so. It's just the deal that they ended up with. Yeah. Um, just wasn't wasn't the great thing. They they'll kind of both tell you that it wasn't the the most positive for the movie. But right. That I mean, as a filmmaker, like learning stuff, like it's you gotta learn the, distribution. Yeah. It just it. Just one of those sides that, again, I don't want. I don't want any part of that. That's that's one reason I do what I do. If you're directing and producing, like you got to take those things. I shoot the movie. Yeah, right, you do whatever. Yeah, yeah, with it. And then you, a lot of the newer films after Crazy Lake were more. I guess you could call them more commercial, not com commercial, but more like there's comedy and family. Mm -hmm. and so they're more bright. Yeah, so I did, um, I'm trying to actually remember the order of it now, but I think the third movie I did was At the End of the Day uh, with Kevin O'Brien, who was a good friend of mine. Um, that one was very personal to me, and mm -hmm. Kevin Kevin wrote it and directed it and produced it, but mm -hmm. also personal to me um, because it's about a guy learning about his faith like mm -hmm. the whole the tagline is a christian conservative professor ends up in a gay support group right that's the basis of the movie and it's the things that the character was going through either i had a, had already gone through or was was going through at the time or mm -hmm. was going to go sure. through it as right. i as i got older um so that movie like in a weird way was a healing process for me yeah um I love that. That's subject-wise, it's probably my favorite movie that I've yeah. that I've got to shoot. Um, cool. We had we didn't have that much money. We shot in yeah. like 18 days or something like that. But I mean, everybody that was involved in the movie was like really there for it. Um, and I, it's one of my favorite. You know. Awesome. I think I think it will continue to end up being one of my favorites. Um, mm -hmm. And then after that. I'm missing a movie in here somewhere. <laughs> There's obviously the Bernie the Dolphin yep, films, we did the, the Bernie two films. The Dolphin one and two, um, where uh, that was distribution deal was already set up before we were old, ever rolled camera, so that was kind of unique. Um, mm -hmm. Something I hadn't gone into, so the movie was already uh, purchased and, and ready to go, um, and then. Uh, so that one was interesting. Kids, kind of family, light-hearted, using CGI, using dolphins. It was just this kind of whole, mm -hmm. we were out on the water, um, which I took some experience from Paradise. Mm -hmm. and was able to put into to that. Um, and just in general in Florida, you end up shooting on beaches and, and sure. boats and, you know, in the water. It's a very water-based right. movie. So we went to Marine Land. In the sunset. In the yeah. Air. So we went to Marine Land shot some of the dolphin stuff so that was super cool um and the second one we did was like a year later um but in between that i actually got to shoot my favorite visual film which was drop it unleashed yeah um, shot uh shot in howie in the hills and then in parts of sarasota 1930s india upscale family uh colors texture beauty just i that if I could just shoot that movie and over and over and over again, <laughs> I'd probably be 
totally fine. Like we and you pulled off India, 1930s India in Tampa, Tampa Bay area. So the the whole thing. So the lady who wrote it uh, grew up in India during, obviously not in the 30s, but mm-hmm. um, had seen the English influence. So you have to remember at that time India was part of the English Empire. Sure. So a lot of that culture had started to move. So there's this really unique blend. Kind of Victorian. Yeah, so this unique blend of Indian culture with Western culture. Um, But the influential families of the time, their houses were giant, but they Mm -hmm. had started getting electricity at that time. And and again, the English Mm -hmm. influences in the cars. Cars And so like, it was kind of this really cool, like time period to just explore. but they were also very culturally, they were very, they were still very Traditional. Indian. Yeah. So the whole thing is, um, the whole thing about the movie is Indira, the main character. Um, she doesn't have a choice about. She doesn't have a choice about who she's, she's supposed marry. to marry, but yeah. she falls in love with her, with, she falls in love with her cousin, but mm-hmm. she has to marry this other man. Mm-hmm. So it kind of becomes this, you know, internal strife. And then she finds out from her mom that you know, she's in. Her mom's actually in love with her uncle. Different, different families, but like, mm-hmm. and so just you know, it's a it's a love triangle, but like not in the traditional, right. you know, sense of of how we do it. I just had a I had a blast. I mean, it was also the hardest film I've ever shot. Yeah, you know, it was we were shooting eighteen and nineteen hour days because we shot the whole film in eighteen days. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so just, but I. And it's over two hours too. Yeah. So yeah. there was a lot of, so my friend Tony, who wrote and produced Paradise, was the director on that film. Oh, nice. Um, and he, he very much let me explore, do, yeah. you know, do what I, so there's a lot of movement, there's a lot of flow, like, the movie is flowy. Mm-hmm. Like, that is, at its basis, I wanted everything to feel like it was moving mm-hmm. at all times, kind of off balance for her. That's a very Bollywood thing to do, I think. Yeah. I think that was smart to do, yeah. Yeah, um, and then the house, the house is grandiose and beautiful, but we mm-hmm. wanted it to feel like a prison to her. Right. And so there was, you yeah. know, there was a couple of shots of the house just looming mm-hmm. over her. There's one shot that I will always love. It's 15 millimeter lens, as wide as we could get mm-hmm. on the ground, looking straight up at the house, and she's, you know, dwarfed in the frame. Oh, yeah. And, like, that was, like, the quintessential, this is what the house is supposed to feel. It's, like, swallowing her. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So we kind of took some of that idea and then moved it over. Um, It's, you know, then it's a story about a young woman becoming a a woman. Mm -hmm. Um, And, again, I, I absolutely loved shooting that film it was such a great experience i was very tired by the end of it <laughs> i bet um there was one sure. scene um i think you were talking about the prison nature of it and uh it, it brought me to that scene which is and i've actually talked about this scene before in one of our previous uh episodes tim um uh, because it had to do with um using a visual to draw on the relationship between characters mm-hmm. And uh, there was the, there was very stark lighting, almost like a, you might see in like a uh, a film noir. Mm-hmm. And uh, but the room was fairly large, uh, and it was near the end where the 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 you could call it the poisonous triangle between these three people is like coming to a head. Mm-hmm. 
and um, the the choices that you made to shoot very wide, I think, was a really good choice because it showed the relationship between this guy and standing over this woman. Mm -hmm. I think she was on a couch or something, and he was like looming over her. Mm -hmm. And then Draupadi was in another room, I think, looking on, or was it another character? Um, so Watching couple, this yeah, there's, abuse so there's, happen. Yeah, so there's a couple of different instances, but yes, there's yeah. the scene that you're talking about is uh, they were in bed. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and just the way that we framed with with uh, Dominic Reigns, who played who played Ummer, uh on top of our main character Indira, and they are married. But then the woman he actually loves is Indira's aunt, and she's at the house and sees this interaction. Yeah. Um, and just the way that we kind of... It's heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that leads really to the climactic scene, which is some of my favorite stuff I've ever shot. Um, what the aunt does post that, and then mm -hmm. what that drives Indira to, toward, towards the end of the film. Um, is this with the banyan tree, or...? Or was this more like she, revealing who she is? It's so. It's my favorite shot I've probably ever gotten. Um, there's a couple of shots that like are just near and dear to me, but this one, when I think about like where it was in the movie, how beautiful it looked. There's a mm. shot of of Indira walking down the hallway, and there's a a lamp had broken in in the room behind her and so mm -hmm. it's got this yellow flicker but then I put moonlight through the window mm -hmm. and this is the moment she has decided this is my life I'm going to I'm doing my own thing right. I'm leaving this is this is not healthy and she's walking down this hallway and we just hold on it and that shot just how strong she looks yeah. leaving her past behind her this mm -hmm. this chaos you're shooting from below we're shooting a, a little a low little but below. it's just a, yeah. it's a steady cam shot just mm -hmm. and she's just pushing the camera and she just has this and the selena Qureshi who played indira nailed i mean she was great through the whole movie she nailed that that look of defiance and so it just it's nice to whole, see that isn't it yeah it's just yeah. when we were shooting the shot i remember tony just like looking at the yeah. monitor just being like this yes this <laughs> is what, what i'm I, talking about yeah That's I, just, great. I absolutely love that shot for I mean, I even saw it in theaters, and that's that is the shot that my wife leaned over to me and said, "Babe, this is freaking beautiful." So that's like, got to be anything, that's awesome. yeah. yeah. So yeah. like, that's awesome. That shot to me is is incredibly yeah. personal, but I absolutely love it. So went from that movie <clears throat> to, and this gets very mixed up in my in my brain because I shot Bernie the Dolphin. And then I shot part of this next movie, but then we took a break, and then I shot Dropity, and then we, I, th yeah, we shot another part of this movie, and then I shot Burning the Dolphin two, and then we finished this movie. So this, wow, the so this movie is Kilroy was here with Kevin Smith, which is oh, the movie okay. that most people talk to me about uh, because it was most recognizable name that Smith. I've worked, and it's it's yeah. Kevin Smith. Um, so that movie was very interesting. And Kevin was coming to Florida to do this movie through Ringling College. And okay. I already had a relationship with Ringling College, but the company that I was working with at the time, Digital Caviar, 
with Mike Brown and Conrad mm -hmm. Del Torres, Todd Yontek, Victor Young. Um, they were, I was able to kind of help tie them into Ringling Studios and what they were doing. Cool. And what Ringling does is they bring in big names mm -hmm. to either talk or do a project um, and then hire local professionals to do key positions and the students right. fill, in, fill in the rest. So yeah, that's how that's I ended up DPing a web project with Justin Long um, and then working on a feature film mm -hmm. with Kevin Smith. So Is this the Justin Long that did uh, Lady and the Lady of the Man? Yes. So that's part of how I yeah. ended up on that project as Bcam and Steadicam operator as well. Mm -hmm. um, so we. Uh, it's coming out soon, isn't it? It's coming out like this week. I think. Wow! There you go. So uh, that'll be in theaters. It, like I think it's in like three different theaters in mm -hmm. the area. Um, Locally. So, cool. and, you know, it's nationwide release. Um, okay. And my friend Nick, who was the director of Paradise, mm -hmm. was the DP on that movie. Um, so What's his I, last name again? Nick? Mer Mergulis. Nick Mer Mergulis. M Morgulis. Morgulis. It's, okay. uh, M O R G U L I S. Okay. Um, so, uh, but going back to Kevin Smith's movie, um, as I said, we shot it over, it's like a year and a half, but mm -hmm. we really only shot like 20 three days or something okay. like that. Um, but I got to know Kevin pretty well. Um, I actually, I still text him every once in a while. I try not to overdo it, but mm -hmm. something makes me think of him or if I hear, you know, like he had a birthday um, a couple months ago and I just texted him like, hey, mm -hmm. you know, just reaching out because he's just such a down to earth, humble, like the person you see on stage or uh, on in interviews mm -hmm. or what like that's Kevin. That's Kevin him. doesn't have yeah. a persona. Right. I've seen him like I even did a, a one day thing with him. He came. His mom lives in Orlando and his his brother oh, lives really? in Orlando and works at Disney. Cool. And he came down to to visit them and I went over one day just to interview him and his mom and his brother about a documentary about Kevin. It was called I think it was called. Clerks or the making of Clerks or something, something like wow. that. So I got to see him just interact with his mom and, and his brother. Um, his brother invited us to his house. That's where we shot it at. And just there's no difference in Kevin Smith. Mm -hmm. um, super, just a super nice guy. Um, kind of let me, for the most part, do whatever I wanted. Cool. There were sometimes he would walk on the set and just be like, Brandon. What are we shooting? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. This is my thought. Oh, okay, no, I don't like that because of this, but mm -hmm. more like, oh, yeah, like, yep, that's what we're doing. Um, okay. So kind of like, you know, kind of a hands-off, but overarching uh, directing style. Mm -hmm. um, but he, you know, he's... I have, like, nothing bad to say about the guy. Like, I had a blast working with him. My crew on that was... You know, I'm very pumped to be mm -hmm. there. We got to work with Jason Mewes and and Kevin. Oh, he was in the film. Yeah, he was in the film. Oh, wow. uh, so it's an anthology that uh, it's like four or five different stories uh, about this Kilroy character. Mm -hmm. um, the legend is that the Kilroy was here was placed in numerous places. What is this World War Two? So in World War Two, yeah. Um, the the symbol, the Kilroy, the guy looking over the fence with the big long nose. Um, That's right that was 
like part of uh, U.S. intelligence mm -hmm. throwing the Nazis off of putting these everywhere just to say like, hey, we've been here. Right. And so that was kind of where that that started. And then other mm -hmm. American soldiers and, and ally soldiers started drawing them in, in different spots. So that's kind of how that part of it took right. over. What Kevin wanted to do was not ignore that, but play into it a little bit with almost like a swamp creature. Mm -hmm. So Kilroy was actually Roy, who was a soldier in like Vietnam. And so we shot like some Vietnam flashback stuff, which was mm -hmm. really cool to see our department like set up yeah. like all that stuff and, and being the fatigues. and stuff around here. Yeah, you so yeah. You know, that was easy to shoot in Florida. Um, That's great. And then, but he kind of goes psycho, mm -hmm. and then he gets put in like a, a psycho ward. Kind yeah, of thing. psych war, but the psych war burns down, and then like that's when he becomes Kilroy. Mm -hmm. um, and With so we, two L's. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> so we kind of play off that idea a little bit. So he kind of looks like him a little bit, but like a monster version of him. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, we just had a lot of fun. The the guy who that's made great. the mask. Um, oh crap. I just forgot his name. I just had it like a second ago. Oh, a local guy who make, made the no, mask? No, so oh, okay. he's been, uh, the guy who made the mask has been in movies for ever. Nice. Um, I can't even see his face. I don't know why I can't think of his name, but like, uh, Kevin's, Kevin's favorite joke is he's the guy who made uh, Dirk Diggler's dong in Boogie Nights. <laughs> what? So, like, he's been... Did in, you just say dong, Brandon? <laughs> I did. Uh, hey, that is from Kevin. That is not... It's so poetic, too. The, the triple Ds. Dirk Diggler's dong. <laughs> Bob Kurtzman. That's what his name is. There it is. Um, okay. So his team uh, helped us with a lot of the special effects. Um, that was something I wasn't at that time very familiar with like mm -hmm. i didn't know like we have you know it's a horror movie so we're having kills and different things and i'd really only done that on crazy lake but that was a pretty you know different kind yeah, of yeah it was a very yeah. indie look and so these guys were coming in and showing us you know we're chopping characters in half we're mm. stabbing people we're doing all sorts of stuff mm -hmm. um and so bob and and his team was there to kind of show us how to how to do that. Technical, I relied a technical. lot on them of, yeah. of how there's a technical savvy there. That's just incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when you boil it down, like now that I've seen it, like when you boil it down, it's actually like really simple. Right. But if you don't you know think how of, it's, right. You have to yeah, think of all this. You things. have to think about how it's been, been done. Um, and so Kevin wanted it to have a very, you know, kind of 1980s, like horror. Mm -hmm. type. Cause you know, that's what, Right, like a slasher kind of yeah, vibe. So yeah, so that's kind of that's kind of what we skewed to. Um, so we just had a lot of fun shooting that, being out there, you that's know, in great. the middle of a swamp at three in the morning, and you can see yeah. the rain coming, and you're like, "Well, we still got like two pages to shoot. Like we just uh -huh. try and power through it." Yeah, like some people, for example, don't know that Florida. It's like often you get rain and then it goes away oh, like yeah. in ten minutes or yeah. whatever. So. The hard part about that is, you know, we have these lights that are way up in the air, and we got to yeah. bring them all down, de-rig them. Yeah, the lights we ju we just cover, but like the cabling and stuff, we try and make safe. And it'll rain for ten minutes, and then we got to put it all back out. And it takes, you know, it's not it, just. You could see some people being like, "Okay, that's a wrap for the day." Yeah. And mm. you, and you're like, "No, no, 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 wait. We're just waiting. You wait know, half I, an hour." I work with people now yeah. from. New York and LA or whatever, and they're like, man, 
looks like rain. I'm like, it's going to rain, but it'll be fine. It'll be like, over soon. Yeah. And it only let, like, it's a downpour for like 10 minutes and then it stops and they're like, what, what just, just happened? <laughs> <laughs> like, that's That's Florida. the tropical thing, man. Yeah. That's, you know, like you go in the Caribbean, it's the same kind of thing. Yeah. You know? And it's in and out. You know, mm-hmm. where I, like, I grew up. Because I grew up kind of in a valley, like rain will just come and just like sit. Yeah. If it starts raining, it's gonna sit there for the whole day. Like. Mm-hmm. So yeah, when shot. I first moved down here, I was like, <laughs> you can see rain and you're driving into it. Yeah, and you're right. in it for like 30 like seconds gone. and then you're out. You know. Or it's like a sunny day and it's yeah. raining while it's sunny. Yeah. You're like, this is beautiful, but it's raining on my head. Thanks, it's Florida. Beautiful. Like such yeah, a weird. Like, there's rain days. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, you're other places, man. It's like you see rain clouds. Mm-hmm. You get rain day. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's gonna be. Or three days of rain. All day. Just straight you know? rain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like shit. It's a whole different ballgame. Yeah. Yeah. So this Kilroy movie is that out? It's not out yet. Uh, we're still kind of figuring out some of that, uh, some of that stuff. I don't want to. I don't really want to get into that part of it, but um, it'll be out soon, so, hopefully. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Again, I just being on my side of it, I was able to be on the. Uh, I helped with not helped with the edit, but I gave notes on the edit, and then notes on the color. Uh, Pro Media out of New York did the color on it and the, and the edit. Um, so just talking with them and like how to. You know, weave in because it's three. It's you know, f- like four or five different stories, and then we have a a mechanism of of uh, Harley, who's actually Kevin's daughter, telling Kilroy's story to this little girl to kind of scare her. Um, and so that's okay, how we yeah. work in the, yeah. the different pieces of it. Yeah. So um, it's kind of interesting because I saw Kevin when Kevin was probably two hundred and twenty pounds, and then he had his heart attack, and then we shot. The second part, like a month and a half later. Wow. And we were in July, and I thought Kevin was like, I was like, this, a different person. Well, he was different. I was like, I, this, the heat, like, yeah, this guy's gonna die. <laughs> yeah. While he, while he's here, he powered through it, and then when he cool. came back the next time, like he was, he was ready to go. Um, so yeah, uh, that's, it was a, it was a. I mean, a great experience. Been a lot of people have been able to talk to about it. Um, yeah, I just kind of wanted to wanted to get out there. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, for sure. No, that's that's awesome, man. You know, so that like, so you know that relationship led into working for Justin because um, Justin had done two projects at Ringling. Uh, one where I was DP. One where Nick was was DP. And so when they were looking, so when Justin and Christian, his brother, were looking to do their own movie, mm-hmm. they knew people here. So we actually shot, it's supposed to take place in Savannah, but we actually shot it in uh, South Tampa, like 90% yeah. of the film. You, yeah, you shot can double there. those, yeah. for sure. Um, so the spreading oaks and stuff. Yeah, so it kind of yeah. had, you know, that old Southern, we shot at this, this house, I think, mm-hmm. was built in like the 20s, maybe earlier than that. Mm-hmm. Kind of had like a plantation. Get the bricks, kinda, you know, yep. and everything, yep. Yep, so that was... Savannah's a beautiful town. Oh, yeah. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah, so trying to take some of that and bringing it, you know, bringing it here. Mm -hmm. um, And, like, yeah, we had had a good time shooting that one. Nick shot it. Uh, Tony was producing it. Mike and Conrad were were producing, and Conrad was first ACing. So, like, Mm -hmm. all these relationships I had built over the years, you know, were were able to put together and work on this film. So... You ever thought about shooting up in uh, Georgia? Oh, I've thought about shooting everywhere. <laughs> yeah. You go up to Film Bar up there. 
and just like make a few contacts and be like, hey, call me if you need another DP, like your DP yeah, calls so out on you or whatever. I'm, I'm working up. on uh, working into different networks. Um, mm -hmm. Orlando kind of being the most immediate because I'm very well entrenched in Tampa. I want to move into the Orlando network a little right. bit more. Cool. Um, and then also they starting- They don't film bar though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no film bar. I've tried. Um, but you know, being, just getting your name out there. I now have a, a professional camera package to offer, which um, I'm very excited about. It has, has led to some decent work uh, already. So hoping that that you know, can get me into the markets a little bit. Because like, I tried to do the Atlanta thing before my daughter was born, which was like seven years ago, but I didn't have, yeah. you know, I didn't really have anything to offer. And now I feel like with my experience, with my equipment and, mm -hmm. and all that thing that I have something to offer to, right. you know, to walk in and be, you know, and, I, and I'm confident in what I can do now. Mm -hmm. So walking in and being, you know, put my hand out there. Hi, I'm Brandon. I'm a DP. Yeah. You know, this is what I've done, but you know, kind of that, mm -hmm. that feel of, uh, you know, just knowing, being confident in, in what I can do. And that's a big mm -hmm. part of what my wife is, taught me my wife is a very confident person um and so she's instilled a lot of that you know in cool. me when i cool. as i'm approaching business and mm -hmm. and doing what, what i love but yeah even even you're you're there up on a monday, on a monday night you find out where they're meeting yeah show up like I, I i didn't even know about film bar uh till my friend up there told me about it and i just showed up and i was just like i got to meet like a good seven, eight people. I mean, there's like 50 people yeah. in the bar for that. But like, it's a very you know, I got cards and yeah. stuff. And, um, you know, you're making connections like almost immediately, so. Yeah, it's. It's possible. You know, and that's, that's what I did in Tampa. Like, yeah. I, my first like two years of kind of doing this by myself, like I was out at that time there were at least like three or four different meetings and I was trying to hit them every week cool um, and it just you know met the right people through some of through some of that um, mm -hmm. you know and also meeting with other businesses and production companies and and whatnot um, I remember meeting with Diamond View who is now oh yeah you know massive yeah I they've got a big deal going on yeah, they? Um, with their uh, volume yeah studio. which I was just shooting on yesterday um, I'm I've been trying to find an inn to where, where I can go over there and just have a tour. I mean, though, we'll work, we'll work some out. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I remember meeting them when they were in just like a small little place. They were using DSLRs, and now they're you know they're they're huge. They're massive. They're huge yeah. now. So I, it's been fun to watch them develop like that, and and other companies that have been around here as well. Because mm -hmm. um, I've worked pretty much with everybody at some point. Mm -hmm. um, just being a small network like right. this and which has been awesome it's been able to sustain me but I need I want for my family to you know get bigger and better projects and and kind of showcase what you know what I have learned over the last 10 years and yeah man and do that yeah so like myself I mean I'm I'm more of like a storyteller slash director writer producer and uh, podcaster. <laughs> Extraordinary. Extraordinary. Okay, only that <laughs> That's right, very important. 
And so, like, the kind of stories I'm interested in, you know, you were talking about um, uh, Christopher Nolan and um, The Matrix and these mm -hmm. kinds of stories. That's the kind of stuff I eventually want to be doing. It's not so much the blockbuster aspect of it, but the bigness, the epicness of mm -hmm. it. And um, the, also the universality of these stories. Uh, there's certain writers that people are not aware of that are just like, like people like George MacDonald uh, back in the Romantic literary era. Uh, and there's a few other writers too. It's like nobody's explored their work. And um, so there's stories that are like they're latent. They're just waiting to be explored. Yeah. And a lot of people just you know, are not aware. Like, like Hollywood, for example, they're very big into like just repackaging stuff. And um, so I, I, for me, it's like these kinds of new ideas and new stories, I almost feel like you can't trust with Hollywood these days. Like you have to start them indie in some way um, because otherwise they're not gonna be, the, the, uh, the essence of them is not gonna be really yeah. Respected, and it's nothing against Hollywood in that way. Well, partially it is. <laughs> I mean, because it's like, I mean, to 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 go into that a little bit, I just wish that Hollywood cared more about the actual storytelling and the um, the importance of story, good storytelling, versus like money, you know. Well, uh, I think the interesting thing about Hollywood is I actually think they all care about story but they all want to approach it differently and then when you're in situations like where you're putting so much money into it right I f that's where i think it changes it yeah. it gets it gets changed like wild wild west everybody knows the story that the producer had i don't even forget what the movie before that but he wanted a big giant robot mm. and the whoever was vibe. yeah it was just like no we're not doing that so he literally like made so he cared about the story mm -hmm. of a big giant metal robot yeah nobody else did right and it came across as horrible but yeah. so i think i think that they want to make good stories but i just feel like they don't take a whole lot of risks mm -hmm. and i feel like there's so many cooks in the kitchen even as good as some of these directors are, it's hard to get yeah. past that, you know? Right. Well, I think that's the thing for me is like, it's part of the reason I, I don't always respect Hollywood because like we have so many great directors who can pull stuff off and they're just not trusting them mm -hmm. with this material. And then instead, because there's so much about the money, like for example, the situation with China, you know, a lot of people look at it very politically. I don't think of it that way as much as I do you this is working for you or it's not working for you and like if your objective is to make money Hollywood's completely failed at this point yeah. with China and the and they probably don't realize it at many of them probably still don't realize it but like you can't to me you can't pander to some kind of other objective and then want um, I guess you could call them uh, in stories with integrity like where you where the story is primary above all um, and so there is the money aspect but there's also the ideological aspect mm -hmm. of like what's most important to you if we're trying to bring product to China which now China has dwarfed our country now as it comes to theaters mm -hmm. and um, and therefore money so 
Um, and so Hollywood is so desperate to get that money, they're willing to compromise so many things. And I think that's, that's where you lose. You lose in both places. Because I think our objective as artists, um, you know, forget about the executives, but our, our objective as artists is to tell great vital stories and um, you know almost to die for that you know because you know so I really think that the executives need to take a cue from the artists with integrity and realize that you know we're what you butter your bread with you know what I mean like so you, either you're gonna play to the customer or you're gonna play to the artist and when your customer is somebody you can't even figure out because they come from a different culture so, you know, now you've kind of cut yourself off at the knees. Yep. And so instead, I think what you have to do is just come to the customer with integrity and say, this is what I got. This is what I got for you. If you don't like it, okay. Like, I'll try oh, better next time, but I'm not going to, like, cut my artist off and stop making vital stories. Yeah, again, they're, you know? they're afraid of, of risks. And, right. You know, they have to... They have to make money, so I, I, in a weird way, I understand that. But mm -hmm. I think there are also also compromises that executives could make to allow the artistry to bloom. I mean, let yeah. let's just take Damien Chazelle. I mm. absolutely oh, yeah. love this dude's work. Me too, man. And he's first man. He's yeah. He's worked it out. La 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 and he's worked it out to to being able to keep the stories he wants mm -hmm. and he's, he's a young dude like he's, yeah. he's like 35 years old yeah so he made freaking um whiplash whiplash when he was like he's 29 like, what, oh wow and yeah. but he's been able to keep that so i think it's it's a weird mm -hmm. thing of i'd like to know how much he compromises and how much he doesn't yeah you know you see other directors they'll do something great mark webb Freaking mm -hmm. love Fifty First, or uh, not Fifty First Dates. Um, Zoe Day Snell and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Uh, oh, uh, Five Hundred Days, of, days of, of yeah, summer, summer. Yeah, I knew there was a number in there. Yep. But then, great like, film. Then he did Spider-Man right after that, and it was just kind of bland. It was bland. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, what's going on with Chazelle? Because it's like obviously he's Oscar-worthy kind yeah. of work, but then First Man, he was like snubbed. So it's like, what's going on there? Why, why are they not giving this guy his due? Uh, I mean, that film is amazing, yeah. First Man. And I, 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 like, I think I tweeted, not, maybe not tweeted, but I put on Facebook, I was like, this is a master class in filmmaking. And, and then it just got snubbed totally. I was like, wow. Yeah. Like, and I almost feel like people don't get the film, too, in some ways. It's like, they don't understand how great this film is. But... Um, yeah, and it is a shame with Hollywood. I think you, it's like if you can't change it, the system from within, you've got to change it from without. Well, and I think you we're know? in such a unique time that it, films are being true. made day in, day out. Now that COVID is, we've figured out mm -hmm. our protocols for COVID, whether you think they, they work or not. You know, mm -hmm. that was a time period we had to figure out what we were going to do. It didn't take very long. I mean, Hollywood... Yeah, I mean, it's good on that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, figuring out how to make movies, 
Um, I think there's a lot of artistry that's going to come out of what we just had to go through. Right. Like, I I mean, personally, I Hopefully. didn't work. I, we finished Lady of the Manor March 1st. The world shut down, like, March 12th. Mm-hmm. I didn't work. I worked one day or two days in, like, July. And then I didn't really work, like, full time until, like, October. Oh yeah, yeah. And I was, I was just like, that's when Digital Caviar and I had to split ways because, like, they didn't have work coming in. Like, right. how were they supposed to sustain my salary mm-hmm. while they were doing that? So I had to, you know, take a step back and be kind of reflective of like, do I need? Do I really want to keep doing this? When it came to it, it was like, yeah, I'm. <laughs> I'm this invested. Is, yeah. First of all, this is the only thing I'm good at that <laughs> people will pay me to do. Second, like, I don't, I can't do anything else. Um, you know, and for Hollywood, they probably have to do a lot of the same thing. I think mm-hmm. I'm interested to see where the movie industry has to go, right? Because now we have home theater release. You know, yeah. there's 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 a lot coming at the movie industry. They've always kind of had to deal with, but like it's getting it's getting pretty hairy. It's getting pretty hairy. Yeah, yeah. Netflix has really messed, uh, changed things. I shouldn't yep. say messed up, but changed things a lot. Not all for the best, um, but yeah, I'm 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 a theater guy. Like I'm sold out oh, to yeah. theaters. I went back to the theater for the first time, and like two weeks ago. I've been going <laughs> since like which and I mean last part, October. Part of, it, part of it is just schedule. Yeah, my kids don't go to sleep till eight o'clock. I, I you know like, I can't. Yeah, like. <laughs> um, and, you know, part of it was a money thing. I literally couldn't mm-hmm. afford to, you know, that discretionary income was, was tough. Mm-hmm. Um, so just being able to, to go and, like, to watch a movie in the theater finally was... No, I'm sold out, man. I was a, like, as soon as I could get back in there, I was, I was back in there. Um, but, yeah, it's a shame that, that people are losing, um, I think, losing this... They're going to lose a sense of what cinema was if they forget about mm-hmm. theaters, and they're going to lose the 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 power of movies um, if they stop going to theaters because it's just not the same thing. I don't you know, we like to look at all the negative aspects of it, but there are so many positive aspects of it. I mean, first of all, it's actually not that expensive. We people complain about how expensive it is, but it's actually one of the cheapest, yeah. good, solid forms of entertainment. Um, you know, go to go to a go to a like a a concert, <laughs> okay? <laughs> go watch a sports game. I mean, come on, you know. So it's like it's not that bad. I mean, yeah, there's the popcorn on your shoe or whatever, or the sticky or the people talking <laughs> in the other room, but that, you know, the other aisle. But it's like, yeah. But if you pick a good movie, you know, you know you're gonna get a good director and a good movie, and and you uh, you at least try to mitigate some of those issues. It's it's still a really great experience, yeah. you know. Like I do the AMC A list thing, mm-hmm. and I save a lot of money that way. And so it's I don't know. Like I I I I have my ideas of how it can be saved, but it's like I'm just some dude, you know. So it's like, well, um, everybody that's done anything is just some dude. But you know, for for me going through like TV like I mm-hmm. a lot of the movies that kind of come out over the last like really like two years like I haven't even really seen that many of them it's been TV mm-hmm. I've watched so many great 
you know, serial. Uh, most of mine I tend to enjoy are drama. Um, yeah. TVs have a hard time with sci-fi, but like dark. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys watch that. Dark is my favorite show. I ever. only saw the first episode, maybe. Yeah, you didn't but get I w anywhere. I wanted to watch yeah, more. You yeah, you didn't get any. It really takes about episode like four where it starts popping off, nice. and then you're just like, holy crap! Yeah. Everybody that I've gotten to watch like through episode five. There's mm -hmm. three seasons and it ends like it's got an ending, cool. and like it just goes bananas. That's great. Um, but tone again, tonal. Tone, oh yeah, I could tell it was like tone there moves, already. Like oh, it just there's time travel involved. I'm like I'm I'm totally in this. Mm -hmm. uh, Peaky Blinders, freaking love that uh, show. Yeah. My wife and I are watching Ted Lasso right now, and we are loving that show. Um, there's been other shows I've watched that I've liked, but mm -hmm. you know, having like uh, Sweet Tooth, which was on Netflix, was kind of an interesting show. Um, Marvel's done a great job mm -hmm. with uh, their shows have been better than their movies. Loki <laughs> was freaking phenomenal. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so it's just a lot of like that um, kind of viewing where it's it's not as I don't have to leave. I can do it. Like kids go to bed and turn on the TV. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, doesn't cost as much because well, again sure. I went through you know some pre a pretty tight financial time yeah that's um, true. you know prioritizing what we had to do and TV was there so yeah <laughs> watching that well let's talk about some other um, cinematography issues like uh, people have questions some people might have so for example uh, like what are all the different cameras you worked with and I've worked your with, favorites, etc. Um, <laughs> the only camera that I think is on the market that I've really worked with is an IMAX camera. But I've worked with. Mm -hmm. I personally own an RE Mini, uh, RE Alexa Mini. They now have the RE Alexa Mini LF and and LF cameras, which I've worked with. Uh, I've worked with everything red. Um, I don't. I don't even know how many different cameras <laughs> red has uh, sh shot on them quite a bit um, Sony the Sony systems Sony Venice Sony F55s the whole F series mm -hmm. Canon all of the C the C series I haven't technically shot on the C70 but I've held one and kind mm -hmm. of went through went through all the little processes of that yeah. um, black magic mm -hmm. iPhone I shot a whole short foam on the iPhone 12 um, yeah, I've kind of run the gamut on on all of those. What about DSLRs? What did you? Oh yeah, I started on DSLRs. So yeah. Canon T2i was the first camera that I personally bought. I bought mm -hmm. two of them, then I bought a 7D, then I bought a 5D Mark II, then my we bought a 5D Mark III, and that's that's what I have mm -hmm. now. Because I know some people are kind of down on DSLRs, and uh, and then there of course you get the whole iPhone thing as well. But I mean that's understandable. Yeah. But uh, DSLRs, you get a pretty decent. It was image, a good but you learning ground. Tweak it. Yeah, a it was lot, a good right? learning ground for me. I learned a lot about like color and exposure. Um, that's what I will say. They're good for is, is learning. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to go back to them. Yeah. <laughs> but I also have you know now I have a nice cinema package that mm -hmm. I put together and built uh, with a with a partner. Um, and the area, uh, yeah. yeah, and I just love like if you were to say like, hey, what camera do you want to? That would, 
-hmm. literally when we were talking he was like what camera would you shoot on like right now order something i'm like all right alexa mini like that is what i would well the color science i mean the color the depth you know it's not 4k i don't care that doesn't matter as much people think it does i want to know what i want to know what i'm putting out there is the most beautiful so like Mm -hmm. some people have like a very rough tumble kind of look to their Mm -hmm. stuff my wife said it when I was starting out, and she'll say it now. What I shoot, the way I shoot, is pretty. Mm-hmm. Alexa puts out the prettiest image, and it's the image that I will always gravitate to. Mm-hmm. If I like, that's part of why I love the shows that I love is like Ted Lasso shot in the Mini LF. Right. I don't even have to look that up because I can. can I tell, told her yeah. in the first like two minutes of the show, I was like, "This is shot on Ari." Yeah, like, you can just tell. There's so such beauty to the color to it to people say it's the, the most like film it is probably yeah. it, it is and, and i've never personally actually got the shoot film i've mm-hmm. been uh, ac on on a show where we shot super 35 and then i'm actually getting ready to gaff a film that is on super 16 mm-hmm. um, but i've never actually got to but studying and reading a lot of what i do it's the most compared and yeah personally i would actually say compared with the right lenses is actually more beautiful than film right. i know that's like oh god don't no, but no, like roger deegan has freaking said this so like yeah. i don't feel like i'm out of line in yeah. any sense in saying i prefer the digital image of an ari right not a red not sony but mm-hmm. an ari to what to film right no, yeah, I mean, it's like they they found the secret sauce with the with the sensor or something yeah. somehow, and and they are getting ready to within the next year announce their next system, and I am mm-hmm. very excited because how are you going to improve yeah. upon what you have? I right. mean, the Ari the Ari Alexa came out in 2012, mm-hmm. then they they finally got it down to a small form factor, which is I which is what I have, which was made in 2015. That's so great they did. Red yeah. is still trying to catch up. <laughs> Yeah. They just released their red release, their next newest thing, and I. <laughs> you were talking about rough uh, people that like a rough. Was it rough? Yeah, word yeah like a, Is that an kind of like red, grittier. Yeah, that would be it's more a little more crisp, maybe too crisp. No, I don't know. If crisp is just, the right word. Um, um, I don't even want to say muddy because they're such yeah, there's a sort of muddiness. Kind of the way that it renders the image right. is not quite. It's not as soft, I right. guess. It's not. It's not hard. It's just. It's not as forgiving right. on the edges as. Um, and the roll-offs not near what. Mm-hmm. That's the one. That is the thing. That's pretty big. That Ari yeah. has figured out is the is the ro- highlight roll-off. Yeah. Is just so gorgeous. Red. That's super can't, important, isn't yeah, it? I yeah. Mean, yeah. You want to see the people underestimate the that. Yeah. It, it's. You know, I could go on and on about that what I think what your question was leaning towards more of like what are some of the challenges mm-hmm. of my job in, in terms of even just technical stuff it's keeping on one of the things is keeping on top of the technical yeah. aspects yeah Red just announced their new one Sony's going to come out with something else right. Ari's going to come out with something else and that's those mm-hmm. are just cameras that's not including what I have to know about monitors what I have to know about the battery systems are coming well, like out lenses, oh, I mean. lenses lens thankfully lenses don't change <laughs> lenses right. are built the same but way but you do have the sensor issues right where you yes some, you have to know you know this camera has a whole has a super 35 this camera has a 35 this hat this has a micro four thirds this so has a good adapter, full frame 
Yeah. yeah. You have to know. Right. Yeah. So you have to know kind of all that. Thankfully, lenses don't really change in terms of how they're constructed. Right. Um, at least not yet. But then also on my side of it is think about all the advantages of LED lighting. Mm. Oh, yeah. That's great. It's keep, huge. Keep a room and, cool, actually. figuring out, like, how, how they're doing it and learning all of the different ways, mm -hmm. you know, all the different lights. Right. I freaking was a Steadicam operator on a Neiman Marcus national commercial, and the entire thing was lit by LEDs. Yeah. Except for one, we have one big uh, 5K mole Richardson. Mm-hmm. Other than that, it was all, which basically means we could have plugged the whole set into, into a house, house with like yeah. two breakers. Yep. Before it would have never even been possible. Plus, we were shooting on the volume, which is the big mm, LED yeah. wall, and that was being projected. That's providing most of your lighting, probably even. It was a lot. Well, of a it. lot of yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so you're, you know, we're entering into this world of. LEDs with mm -hmm. the camera sensors that are changing every few minutes. So, I mean, I have in my schedule, there's usually an hour or two set aside every day. Just for research? Just for research. Wow, Just yeah. to keep on top of, because now we're getting so integrated into cameras too. Mm -hmm. You have to think about if you're shooting on the volume, which we weren't doing this yesterday, but I've, I've seen it being done. It's tied into the motion system, so mm -hmm. the background knows when to move. Right. How are and we then and you have to, to have someone yeah. on a computer who's yeah. kind of almost animating while it's happening. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's you know we're entering into this world that is. Uh, it's kind of fascinating. You know, the people but. who founded film and pe people who founded cinematography. Mm -hmm. I don't think they could have. No, I don't think they could have really dreamed of to what we're what we're heading to. Yeah. And because LEDs like, LEDs have changed. Mm -hmm the film industry from my perspective completely right. you still got to have great stories you still got to have great directors you know a a vista on on a like you know you, you can't recreate you know you're talking about the sunsets right. you can't recreate that digitally that yeah. is just something that was there that i captured yeah it had to be captured but just the lighting is so it's faster now mm-hmm it doesn't take as much power. It's cooler. <laughs> yeah. I can take a light, you know, before, if I had a big light, you know, over my shoulder, I want a different color tone out of it. I'd they'd have to run to the truck to get some. Now mm -hmm. they're literally like, oh, let's turn this knob. Or, right. hey, on the iPad, let's change it to, to this. Right. You could really dial it in. Like, it is made. I so mean, it's a lot more easygoing. People can be a lot more easygoing and Well, the opposite, of, the opposite of that is now productions require you to move at those speeds. We don't oh, get to right. move at film speeds anymore. Right. That is not film speeds. You had to be a lot more technical. You had to be a lot more um, uh, precise. Mm -hmm. We don't get that anymore. Every movie yeah. minus Paradise, Florida that I have shot has been 18 days and under. I shot Bernie the Dolphin 2 in 15 days. Wow. One of those I actually missed, or a half day I missed because the crew or the cast had to go to the premiere for the first one, mm -hmm. and then I lost two. I lost uh, like a day and a half of rain. Wow! I lost a, a total yeah. day and then a half a day. I guess that makes sense. You know, once you can go faster, it's like now you have to go faster. Now you have to. Yeah. yeah. And so your budgets aren't, you know, quite the same. We shot Dropity, which we were dressing. Thank God for art department and production design. 
they were dressing these empty mansions like the night before. Really? And then I was lighting it and shooting it. The whole mansion, and, wow. And we shot the whole thing in like 18 days. It, it just, that's the one thing I would change. I'd love to go back to film schedule, but mm -hmm. with all the advantages of what we have today mm -hmm. and, uh, and doing that, because. That is the advantage you have like when you're in Hollywood, you know, because like, it's like a day job. As yeah. more as opposed to like it's well, all good in a camping thing and go shoot something for 20 days you know like you know there's there's a certain like artistic integrity to that but there's mm -hmm. also something that like as a director like you're super passionate about it or whatever but then you have all these other skilled people like like a gaffer or a grip that like that's this isn't their passion project like mm -hmm. they're there you know you want to respect their time and and you know you hope they're passionate about the job but really they're just great technicians yeah um so you know to get someone to really buy into that like hey let's go out in the woods for 20 days like it's yeah it's not always an easy buy yeah no, it's sure. not it's it's not you know it, it's and i have a lot of respect for for my gaffers and my my grips and my first acs um and second you know all my all my acs and DATs and colors because mm -hmm. they all they're the ones making me look good yeah. <laughs> you know I work a ton I don't know man you do some good work <laughs> well making... I have good people help you know yeah. uh, Andrew Ortoski has been my gaffer uh, on most of my movies oh, cool. and that guy he's a, he's is a, nice a wizard yeah. of lighting I've, it's literally gotten to the point where I'm just like Andrew I need it to he's kind like, of look like he's like I already this. know what you w yeah. want yeah and then I'll walk away to that's always work great. with the director or you know work on some of the camera or yeah. just even think about the next scene like I have to walk away and like okay if I'm mm -hmm. gonna do this like what's and I'll walk back in and it's right you know I might make a tweak here or there whatever but it's yeah you know it's nice to have that people propping you up like because mm -hmm. my job is to prop the director up I gotta have people under me because mm -hmm. um, you know it can get it gets stressful and it gets you know, mm -hmm. you start running behind. As I said on Dropity, we were working 18, 19 hour days, turning around, doing it the next day and the next day, and sure, then, you know we were working yeah. six day weeks for three weeks. Like, yeah, you get burnt. You really you do. So you have to be kind of on top of your game. Yeah, man. So your stuff you have coming up, um, you have what a. Dimming Lights, of course. We mm -hmm. talked about Dimming Lights, Preston Walden's upcoming film. I think, is that a short? No, oh, that is a, is it, a feature. It is a feature, okay. Yep. Um, Kill Them With Kindness. Yeah, so that one's in post-production. That's a short film a short. that I shot uh, uh, pretty much in, during COVID. I don't Oh, wow, yeah. It was like October of last year, something like that. Nice, yeah. Um, so that one. That's when I was uh, in in a theater somewhere, and you, yeah. were, you were shooting a film. <laughs> so that was, in, you know, it was like kind of like the first big production back from that, and just trying to figure out like how do we how do we do this? Yeah. Um, so that was yeah, I enjoyed that was uh, director writer Steve Dimmler. Um, mm -hmm. His dad, was, has been the prop master, the senior prop master for SNL for like thirty years. Oh wow! And Steve kind of went his own. Steve Jr. kind of went his own way and, mm -hmm. and did um, some finances stuff, but now he's like, I'm kind of set. I want to get back into the show business. Phil, you know, yeah. So he, I've been kind of helping him on a couple of his projects. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'm getting ready to gaff a, a movie that's being shot down here. Um, 
And so you do gaffing too? I don't do a ton of it, but mm -hmm. this one sounds kind of interesting. Um, so we'll, we'll see how uh, how it goes. Um, right. uh, you know, I came up doing camera and, and lighting, and mm -hmm. it's kind of how I end, you know, ended up doing this. So gaffing awesome. is, from what I've done, gaffing is a little bit of a step backwards. But the hook is they sh mm -hmm. they're shooting on Super 16. Oh, so yeah. I want to know how to light that. So yeah, I'm going to go do it. <laughs> Good idea. That's great. Um, so yeah, the yeah the lighting definitely could be different. And that's, I mean, I I enjoy cameras and I enjoy the framing, but when it really comes to it, lighting is the thing I love the most. Mm -hmm. It's you can. It's the sculpting part of it. Yeah, right? you just you know. You can put a camera just in an ordinary spot, and, but if you light it beautifully. It works. It works. No matter where the camera yeah, is. It doesn't yeah. matter. So, you know, I've kind of always taken that approach. Uh, you know, sometimes I do have to move so fast. So my lighting design is I light a whole room at a time. And people mm -hmm. are like, oh, it's going to turn out flat. Not if you know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And after years and years and years of watching people do it and doing it myself, like, mm -hmm. I know how to light a room, but still make it interesting and still make it work for camera. Right. So all I have to do is move it around like a key light or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, and use a lot of incidental lighting. Yeah, a lot of that, a lot of like, yeah. you know, again, LEDs helped so much. So I have, yeah. two, you know, little two-foot tube lights you throw behind an actor and you're lighting the background up just a little bit, make mm -hmm. them pop. Like, you're, you know, you're, you're, at a, at, you're in a good spot. Like, just knowing, knowing the cameras, knowing how to light, that's... That's what you got to do as, as a DP, mm -hmm. plus telling, you know, how do you effectively tell a story? I've seen people who make great, great, great images, but they don't get the essence of a story. So in that point, you are like a director of photography because you're just making a pretty image. And they're, they're I mean, they're legit, are beautiful images, but then when you watch them in context of the story, you're going... It doesn't work. It yeah. doesn't... You're not getting me emotionally right. where I need to be. Right. Yeah, it's kind of like you've done a variety of genres, and so I like that you you didn't retain some kind of same kind of style throughout these genres because you understood that different genres required different yeah. lighting and different shooting, and like a lot of people like you did um, these comedies, mm -hmm. for example, or and family, and they're all like they're supposed to be lit very brightly and cleanly, and uh, and you accomplish that. Yeah. You know, now I fought to give them a little bit of mood, a little, and, and, you know, yeah. a little bit, and so they, you know, there were compromises made back and forth because their biggest thing was we wanted to look like Disney, and I'm like, I grew up with like the Goonies, mm -hmm. so that's more my approach right. for for that movie. So we, you know, we kind of had to compromise at mm -hmm. different spots, but there's some stuff in Burn It Off and as silly and as you know, campy and cheesy as it can be. Like, there's actually some really yeah. know, pretty stuff in that as well. Very cool. So, uh, you said you were going to be working on a film film. Mm -hmm. uh, so, does that mean you'd be using a light meter and yes. some of this kind of equipment? Yeah. yeah. And you, no, I've never done this, that kind of stuff. Uh, so, I, I know a lot of guys measure the distance between your subject and the camera. So, that'll be the first AC. Right. I'll be doing that. Right. Yeah. So, that'll be. I, I'm assuming there's going to be what they call a tap out, which will be just a, a video feed that we'll be able to look at to get a pretty good reference. And that's probably what the first AC will pull off of. Mm -hmm. The old guys, they literally, like I've seen guys on 
the back of a truck with a camera on the steady cam, not even looking at their knob, just judging visually how far away they are and just Okay, wow. Like they they know they've been they there just, before. They know how how yeah. far away it is. Yeah. And where to pull the focus depending yep. on the lens, they've et cetera. Been, you know, yeah. those guys those are the when I see someone do My that, respect. I'm like, you are you've been around a while and you worked on film. Yeah. Because digital That's a lot of stuff to take in. Yeah. Yeah. So a good first AC can save you a ton. They're not just a focus puller, but mm -hmm. so first AC, the position has now evolved away from being just a focus puller, and now you kind of run the camera department. Um, but in the old days, like that was really your second, who was kind of running the camera while your first was like your focus puller, mm -hmm. because that was such a particular skill that you had to have, and it, it's it's. I guess it's because the first AC is more technically capable, probably. Mm -hmm. Than the other camera people. And um, I mean, even I will ask my first AC stuff mm -hmm. on you know technical stuff sometimes because they have to know that camera inside yeah. and out. Yeah. yeah. And often too, the technical demands of a shoot, uh, they're aware of those where the DP is not. Yeah. You know, like like you're saying, the distance, you know, the light meter, the lights, and the yeah. effect it's going to have. You know, and I I personally like, and this makes me different than some some DPs do. Some DPs don't working with a camera operator. I prefer mm -hmm. to work with a camera operator so I can actually sit at the monitor and mm -hmm. and look at it. Right. Um, a lot of times I don't get that luxury, so my gaffer will be at the monitor, and right. I'll be relaying. You know, I've got a monitor on the camera but that's not the one I like to look off of mm -hmm. and then when you're operating your focus is so much on that, that you're not really able to see the whole thing yeah uh, but some DPs are like they just they, they got to be hands-on which is yeah. that's works for them it's just right. not how I prefer to work they but, like to play with yeah. their tools yeah. yeah no that's great I guess it makes them feel more free like they have yeah. maybe more control over and I guess and also I think that there's certain um, Framing you're going to need to maintain, with within the action of the sh of the of the scene. Yeah, you know so. we have we have rules. Um, you're like, oh, it's a creative position. Not we. Ha I shouldn't even say rules. I say we have theories that mm -hmm. we're supposed to do. Um, a close up. If you shoot close up on one side, you got to shoot it on the other on the same lens to keep continuity between the two. Uh, you're supposed to start with your wides and then move in. Uh, you're only supposed to be on the 180 line. Coverage. Coverage. Um, yeah. You know, you can break cover. You can break your 180 rule. Well, how do you do it? Well, you got to do this, this, and this. If it's if it's a comedy, wider, flatter, uh, mm. wider, flatter. If it's a drama, or if it's a sci-fi film, like there's different rules that we're supposed to follow. The unique ones are the ones who can break those rules yeah. in a unique way. Well, obviously, um, you know, if you have a gender-bending... Uh, gender-bending. <laughs> That's great. Genre-bending. If you have a... Politics always enters into everything you say. If you have a, a genre-bending picture, you're going to have to bend the these conventions yeah. to some degree, right? Yeah. So that makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, we we work... What I think I like the most about my job is I have rules and things I have to go by, but then I get to play within those spaces. Mm -hmm. I, like some people are like, oh, I just need total freedom to do whatever. I, I don't mm -hmm. operate like that in my daily life. Like yeah. I like having right. boundaries and like 
kind of have to. I'm organized, yeah. and so that's that's where, you know, all the way back to the beginning. That's where the my dad's like my dad's a very uh, Enneagram one like mm, boom boom yeah. boom boom. This is how life. Right. You know, we do it this way every time. That is how I I, I like mm -hmm. that part. But then mm -hmm. there's my mom's, you know, kind of more creative, more creative, um, free flowing. So I like working within those, you know, those boundaries, um, yeah. which is that's what I love the most about my job. What makes you adaptable? Right? Yeah, you can do both. Thoughts, Tim? <laughs> 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 I noticed you've been. No, I got lost somewhere back. Are you on the outs? And, uh, I've just been uh, trying to keep my mouth shut for a while. There, no, it's about cool. A couple different topics, so I just figured I'd sit out. One thing that fascinates me, because to me, the heart and soul of a film and the lifeblood of it is the composition mm -hmm. and the way that the camera moves and how that's framed. So right. as, and this is, I, you know, when you think about the way it was always traditionally done, a director kind of worked with actors more so, and then you had the camera department handled a lot of that stuff. But mm -hmm. something changed along the lines, you know, uh, Capra was always noted for saying, you know, one film, one man. Somebody's mm -hmm. got to be steering that ship. It doesn't matter who it is, producer, mm -hmm. director. You know, it's kind of become the director. But right. it fascinates me that you have directors who literally allow another person to be in charge of the framing and the compositions mm -hmm. of the film that they yeah. are spending that much time on. That just blows my mind because... Trust. Yeah, I mean, that's serious trust. That's like, yeah. you know... I don't. I don't really get that. You know, that, that I actually like that. Throws me off. I, I really enjoy that because it's like, those. That's how you're developing real artistic relationships with people, and you know, like, we. You know, often when we look at art, we think of like, artists from like Da Vinci and people who are like, they're completely in charge of their art, like they do everything themselves. They mix the paint, etc., everything. And I think today with film, it's fascinating that we're a lot more collaborative and a lot more, it's like we're forming a community of artists. And I think that's really kind of beautiful in a way because it's like you're trusting people to get your vision and yet they're going to modify it. It's unavoidable. Mm -hmm. And so it's not a matter of defiling some original passion. It's a matter of mutual respect now. So uh, in, in a way, I like that you brought up the, the director because it's like, today we have this obsession with the director, but really the director is just the person in a way who has to respect so many other people ahead of himself. At, you know, I, I mean, film is so marketing based so you see the director at the end of the film and obviously if that director kind of knows what they're what the film industry is about which hopefully they do they know to say thank you to all these other people <laughs> who came before them and helped them along and that they they also know to not take credit entirely for this this pr product because you know yes they shepherded it you know collaboration that's what it's all about Mm -hmm. Just find it hard to let something like that into another person's hands. Something yeah. that I feel is so vital. I feel like that is what it's all about. Yeah. You know, the people, the words, the place, the, you know, it's 
I get it. It's mm-hmm. all valuable and it all matters and what yeah. they're wearing and how they're, you know, the hair, you know, makeup, uh, so many different departments, but that is so vital. Yeah. It, it just, well, and you know, for you, if you're to, thinking that's your workflow, then you would be one of the directors that I work and with that is, you know, you know, know this, yeah. you know, tiny in this whole little yeah, world, but, but it's just, you know, like you say, I, that's why one of those questions I asked you was something along those lines, and that's it's just interesting to me mm-hmm. that because I've heard a lot about you know different people who are you know in the industry or whatnot you know and how how that work flows between a DP and a director. And mm-hmm. it's, like you say, there's a lot of variations of it, and it's of course it's you kind of have to be like friends, you say, don't John. you? <laughs> yeah, of course, you know? yeah, yeah. And I know that you're kind of you're also. You know, the director has to have his hand on the pulse of everything that goes on. And mm-hmm. it's so I'm sure that as it gets bigger, it becomes harder to manage every yeah. single aspect of it the way that oh, of course. you can do it in a, yeah. you know, in a minuscule little project, of course. You know, so yeah. there would be growing pains to even get to that point. You well, know, and also, I, you know, a director knows uh, kind of the film going on around him and other people in their work. And so they're seeing this other film that had this DP and this DP made incredible images and so they can say you know I shoot my own pictures but if I was to get have a DP shoot my who would I have them who would I have shoot my somebody who obviously makes beautiful images and can make better images than I can make yeah I remember you know if if I remember right in film school the way it was taught to us the idea of the DP and what they are that they are the head of the lighting department and that's kind of the way that it and was taught to me, the concept. Yeah. So not that is... So much, like camera operation, of course, but that's the cameraman. That's not the right. DP. The DP is the head of the lighting department. Oh, I see. And it's not even necessarily, like you say, it's, it could almost be not in the creative departments, mm-hmm. you know, in, in, a, yep. in a way. And that's kind of the way I think of it. It's like when you say, oh, you see a DP and how they work, it's like the way I'm thinking of a DP is, is like texture is light. It's not composition. It's not movement you know I, I feel like that's, in, that's in a lot of cases you know you, that's just kind yeah. of the way my mind breaks that up no, so maybe fine. that's off base so here's something interesting that a lot of I mean? people don't really un- don't know is that is a that is the way that England does it mm-hmm. the DP is a head of lighting DOP yeah the DOP <laughs> and then and then the camera operator so <laughs> works with the director and yeah. that in America that is not how we've done things. Yeah. I don't know when it changed. I don't know how it changed. But now my job in the American sense is to be basically you're the head technical. Mm-hmm. You have your director that's the head of creative, then you have your head technical who's the DP. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. kind of how our system has has worked. Is it better or worse? I don't know. I love English films, I love American films, mm-hmm. I love Asian they films. Both work. Like yeah. yeah, I mean, you know. <laughs> You just have to adapt. Can't really sometimes. draw a line there, but I guess yeah. Like that's just the way it breaks out in my mind. So when I'm thinking like, oh, great DP, I'm thinking more so about light and texture and just that kind of mm-hmm. thing, as opposed mm-hmm. to I always attribute, and probably wrongfully so in a lot of cases, the the compositions, the way the camera moves. You know when we. I mean, all those mm-hmm. kinds of things. I think it just I, depends yeah. on the, on the, the particular picture yeah. and how yeah. they balance that out. Because like we were, yeah. uh, you know, kind of off directors and whoever. Off record, we were talking. We were talking about Fincher. 
Fincher is a mm -hmm. very particular director yeah. and has a huge influence over how the camera moves, right. the composition and whatnot, because he that is that's his yeah. grip on it. Mm -hmm. Other directors, yeah. Kevin Smith, he, like he's not technical like, in any sense. Like Soderbergh too, he's a very camera oriented yeah. director. Mm -hmm. He often will shoot his own stuff. Yeah. But then you I find it hard to, you know, I think, and it's not, I don't really know because they don't all divulge it. Obviously, you don't really want to, you don't want to tell everybody the magic trick, you know, but yeah. it seems like a lot of, I don't want to say the greats, but a lot of people that mm -hmm. have striking visuals, you know, are a lot of times are definitely on the camera. Right. You know what I mean? It seems to be in a lot of cases. That well, that's, I mean, you know, okay. or they have a major influence at least. Yeah, so, or yeah. heavy hand in it, you know? Right. It's yeah, like, so you how have... How do we really freaking know? Like, you have Kubrick, Nolan, for example. Yeah, yeah, Kubrick, you have Nolan. Mm -hmm. Nolan has worked with primarily two two yeah. DPs. Fister. Wally, and, uh, Wally Fister, yeah. and then at Interstellar, he changed to Hoyt, the Hoytma. If you look at those movies, they have the same sense, but they also look different. Mm-hmm. And I think that is, and to me, that is the DP's influence. And those are, and he's English, and Wally is American, American. and mm -hmm. Hoyt is Swiss, or I don't know, maybe something. Yeah. Um, so I've never I really Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy Man. That's one of his. Oh, movies. I yeah. love that movie. Like, yeah. oh, that's that's some, that's some solid. One, yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah. So. I, th I think it's just that collaboration. Yeah. You know, you look at uh, Zack Snyder. He's a very visual director, whether you like him or not. I personally don't. Um, but then his last movie he just did for Netflix, he was the DP on it. I couldn't mm -hmm. watch five minutes of that movie, and I turned it off because I was like, I can't, no. Yeah. Yeah. So he had somebody <laughs> in his ear in the other movies, whether you like them or not. Going no, we're Do no, yeah. we're doing we're doing this because you know you can well, kind I'm of sure, have yeah. Yeah. have somebody with experience and expertise yeah, in these things that right. are saving you from bad decisions sometimes. Yeah. Well, and the bigger your film gets too, the more technical it's going to get on how to get all yeah. these shots. So, mm -hmm. I think a director really, to me, the champion of the story, is kind of got to spend more time, in my view, with actors and making all that stuff happen. But, you know, obviously he's coordinating all these things, uh, these sequences and things happening as well. And you, I mean, you, it's interesting to find directors who are, like Paul Thomas Anderson, his last film, uh, Something Thread. Oh yeah, The Phantom Thread. The Phantom Thread. Yeah. He was the DP on that. And that movie is absolutely freaking gorgeous. It was stunning. It looks yeah, great. he did what a great job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so and he was the director on that. So you know. Yeah, but oh, it looks great. I'll, I'll give you that for sure. So you know, it's interesting yeah. to me when people try and do that. Like, how mm -hmm. successful yeah. are they? Yeah. Because some it, probably fall well yeah, short. It, because yeah. yeah, I think that maybe, and this is just in a perfect world. But I, I get what you're saying, John. Obviously, as a director, you want to be involved with the actors because mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, that's a significant portion of it. I feel like you have to have the vision you have to have like this is what i want for this scene mm -hmm. and then you have the guy who can break that into technical who can make it happen you know yeah. through the lighting system and through okay well we're going to use this lens and this setup and right maybe you have that you go at it a little bit to try to 
figure something out, but mm-hmm. there's some. I, I feel like it's something in there. It's like the perfect yeah. balance of it all. Yeah, is that it, it you is. have like you a are, translator a balance, yeah. into a world that you don't fully grasp because you might not be that technical, you know, in a sense. Right. And so you can try to get you know get somebody on board with you, and you guys kind of charge it I mean, together. That's, that you is know? why I talk yeah. with them so much. I look at all their references mm-hmm. so that by the time we get there, I kind of already know what they want anyways. Yeah. Yeah. And like, obviously they're free to like, hey, I don't like this. Like, I'm thinking right. more of this. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't right. ever push back on that unless it's a coverage thing where I'm like, no, you got to have this for Let's this. Let's at least get the coverage. Yeah. But, you know, in general, that I'm always open to the director. I'm like, no, I want to back up a little bit. I feel like we're, I feel like we're, for this moment, we're in too close. Okay, right, cool. Right. That's not what I was seeing, but you are the boss. Like, you're, I'm mm-hmm. working for you. You're telling me, like, yeah. that happens, you know, quite a bit of, mm-hmm. like, oh, what if we, like, move the camera over two yeah. feet? Mm-hmm. Totally changes the scene. Cool. That's, I'm, I'm, you know, that's, that is where I come in, and I'm in the, I'm in the ballpark and then they're able to mold and some like sometimes you're just like no this is you know that when I do something and the director's like that's exactly how I envisioned it like then I know I have like I've nailed you know I've nailed my job that's awesome that's gotta feel good Yeah. yeah for sure yeah and keep in mind too Tim it's like before the the DP even gets there the director's got this material and he's able to visualize the entire thing however much he wants to. And so, I mean, he can make storyboards and the shot list and all these other things, tools to help the DP to kind of stay on course Mm -hmm. and know the kind of look that he wants for this. So in a way, it's like you've already visualized and, and framed everything. So then it's just finding a DP that can actually pull off what you've what your vision is see that's where i'm a little different is i don't fully visualize something before like the day, oh yeah you know? yeah i definitely do kind of yeah get in somewhere it's not to say that you it's like you have no concept visually of what you're going for right. and you might have some key things planned out but because just from what i've done I don't. I can't really pick locations. You just kind of get in where you can, and you do this, you do that. So you have to kind of be able to improvise and feel it out and find right. something interesting on the day. And you know, yeah. everybody's yeah. there, and we're running through it. And well, you know, you know, maybe this will work, maybe that'll mm-hmm. work, kind of thing. You know. And so I feel like shit, man. I would struggle if I was to do something today, you know, mm-hmm. or tomorrow with like a DP. It's like, well, shit. I don't really know. I could show you a couple <laughs> movies. I'm kind of in this they could you know, save you, though. space, you know, sort of thing. But to be like, this is it, man, you know, frame by frame. I've, I, it blows my and mind that yeah. people legitimately storyboard movies that generally yeah. turn out exactly the way that it yeah. was drawn out. On well, that's, that's Hollywood, that's Hollywood can pull that off. That's yeah. more impressive to me than showing up and doing it. Like, yeah. Because I've done a lot of that. And oh, yeah. honestly, what ends up happening is if you don't do that, it ends up being just basic coverage. And that right. annoys me more than anything. Yeah. Sometimes it's just time. And just <laughs> See, like, I feel like basic coverage, like you're more vulnerable to that out of trying to just draw it up before you actually get out there. Mm. As opposed Sad. to like feeling it out, man. And finding, you know, taking what the space gives you or what the light, you know, how it mm-hmm. falls, you know, or just, 
I don't know what's coverage is safe. Day. You know what I mean? Like so, coverage yeah. is being yes. very safe, which is but I think ends up being the fallback. Yeah, that's why because it's the standard way of doing making shooting movies. But like um, so storyboards, to me, is supposed to be the ideal image that you want. Like you've thought about it from every angle. This is the ideal shot. You know, it's like this kind of stuff Citizen Kane like they have. It's like. No, this is like I don't care how we're gonna make this happen. We're gonna go through this sign, yeah. and it's gonna be you know like we're gonna be we're gonna put holes in the floor. We're gonna shoot up like in, inside the floor. It's just like you can't do that unless you storyboard it to like, such a degree. About the digging in the floor. Well, that was the day of. Like I want the camera. Yeah. Lower. How do we well, get he lower? Had, he had the money and the you crew know? to it's pull like that off. Dig the freaking ground. Yeah. yeah. So that's a bit of both. I feel. I, I get it, trust He's me. Got a vision, I know that you, you know? gotta have some basic concept. But I think at the very least, allowing yourself the room to improvise and allow the day to give you oh, what yeah. it has in store for you. Trying yeah. to catch lightning in the bottle, because I don't know if there's anything better than that. I don't think that we can plan out the best movie. No. I think that right. it can happen the day of with the, the right people mm -hmm. involved and the collaborations yeah. and everybody's clicking and something happens, something exciting something the yeah. way new. that i've couldn't have been uh you know you could have planned it out yeah, yeah. You couldn't have planned it out. the way That's, that i've sure approached it is if we have a bigger action sequence or if it's visual effects i'm gonna storyboard and shot those those out yeah. mm -hmm. everything else oh, like sure. you just kind of approach yeah with a little bit of like More freedom yeah Man. hopefully you have time the biggest honestly the biggest thing is just having the time to yeah. to like you're talking about like Oh, we'll rehearse and play around. Dude, I don't get rehearsal sometimes. I get mm -hmm. like, you sit here, you sit here, talk, go. Yeah. Like, I, that it happens so often where you're just like, right. all right, you're anchored to a spot because it's easier to shoot because I got four more scenes I got to shoot and it's already past lunch. Mm -hmm. Like that is, again, going back to talking about how fast we have to move. Yeah. That's what I find myself in, which is why if it's not already pre-thought out, it goes into basic wide tight tight and you're out mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that's you know yeah. that's one to of those me it's like on the day blocking is your rehearsal because you know like you don't want to over rehearse with people and i think uh, often i think directors and actors unless they're experienced they don't even understand the purpose of rehearsal because to me it's like you're not ever supposed to rehearse so much that you lose kind of the moment as an actor and when an actor has over-rehearsed, they actually get more wooden, in my view. Because um, they're thinking about all the movements they just made and can they, can they hit all those movements. And I don't want them to think about that. Yeah. I want them to think about they are this character. This is what they're doing. What they're coming into this room for the first time. You know what I mean? Like, and they're gonna react naturally as a result. What I wish we could do more, and I realize we don't because it's kind of literally like, you know, just more money mm -hmm. was, is pre-rehearse. Yeah. Get them, like, Tim, we're in your house. Let's get the actors over here. Let's work out, you know, a couple of these scenes that take place in a living room. The living room we're going to end up in might be different, but, like, we've already worked out the beats of mm -hmm. you're going to stand up and go to this corner. And when we get on site, like, okay, there's not a kitchen right behind us. Right. Yeah. What? still what motivates you to stand up to go over to this corner or you know something yeah. like that i wish we could do that more for sure because yeah. that would then save me so much time because i could actually shoot more yeah 
See, and that's right. that's what, for one thing, John, where you're saying how that rehearsal can get dull, and I get mm-hmm. that, but the flip side of that is that people become so ingrained and they know what they're doing, the physicality mm-hmm. of the moment, that they don't have to think about that anymore and they're able to kind of invest in the scene, maybe more the back and forth between yeah, each other. Yeah, I think that's so the it's purpose. Like it's, there's two the, ways about that. But I think that's one the purpose thing, of initial rehearsal, the one you're describing. Yeah. Your initial rehearsal, like, like table reads, begins space, that process. Right? But, but also in a space, you can achieve well, that from take to take see, to See, that to me is where I think you have to be in the moment. Once you get in that space, and I mean, this is all theory stuff. Like, of course. Directors and actors and writers are all going to disagree on this stuff. But it's like, for me, re- initial rehearsal and table reading and all that stuff is about the actor kind of internalizing all this stuff so they can understand it. Right? So they're understanding their character. They're understanding the story, but they're not getting visceral. No, yeah, wait, you're talking about right? table reading? Is no, that you were saying how part, you feel you know, like we shouldn't do that all that No, no, much, no, I'm saying, I'm saying it's okay to do those things, but you have to understand the purpose of it. Yeah, I don't if you, think... If we don't understand the purpose of it, personally. it's just my, my personal yeah. way of doing it. So from my understanding, for, to help an actor perform in, the, you know, in, a, in a way I think that's fresh and authentic I think understanding these things helps them to to maintain that so and and you know it's also going to depend on the actor because some of them are theater actors for example and they're going to know how to stay fresh even though they've rehearsed a million times but a lot of film actors can't do that they are about the moment and they are themselves better in the moment so um, and then you have people who can adapt so you know, so for me, it's like initial rehearsals, if you have it in pre-production, it's like stay intellectual and heady. Like don't do any blocking. Don't worry about any of that stuff. I mean, if you are going to do it, you're, you're working out in a sense of, oh, this is what we're doing. But you're not thinking about it in the sense of how am I going to react physically to all these things. You're thinking about it to understand the story, to understand the character. And then... Once you get there, it's kind of like, you know how directors sometimes keep information from people, especially the actors, about what's happening? That's for a reason. Like, it really does help an actor to give an authentic performance when they do not know what's happening next, often. You know, so, for example, this feature we want to do, you know, there's some scenes I don't want to reveal to the actors because the ending is very you know, different from the beginning of the film. And I think a lot of actors are, are going to be kind of like when you're watching a film and it's the, the anticipation of the, of the bomb, right, as Hitchcock might say, is going to change the way you act when you're watching that, you know, happening. And as an actor, the anticipation of the ending is going to change the way you perform before it. So as you're performing, you know, which is a lot of reason people shoot chronologically when they're shooting a film. If that's important, then the chronological aspect of it is going to make it to where it changes the entire performance, changes your character arc, etc. So I really think that uh, in the moment when you're shooting, rehearsal can be misused. And I think it's more about like I want the actor to be prepared before they get to set as it comes to understanding intellectually. Mm-hmm. And then when we get to set, 
it's about, okay, here's physically what you're going to be doing. It's all about the visceral. It's all about, I'm here in the moment. And now, and, and everything's focused to, to get that performance. And so the director has to kind of like shield their actors from a lot of things that might throw them off of that performance. That's a director's job, you know. So um, they're thinking about the scene, the director is thinking about the scene as it comes to how this actor is starting the scene and how they're going to finish the scene emotionally, you know, like in a, in a visceral, tangible way. And then often, you know, oftentimes the camera has to reflect that as well. So as you know, Brandon, you know, it's like the positioning of your camera vertically has a lot to do with your characters. Mm -hmm. And um, when you're below them, you know, you're, you're like below their head, it has an impact, you know, far below, et cetera, above different sort of impact. And when, that's why I like a lot of uh, level shooting actually, because I don't want to uh, obviously throw the audience off in a way that, you know, like, I don't want it to be too obvious, basically what I'm trying yeah. to say. <clears throat> that's going to depend on your story, obviously, but it's like, I want people to think for themselves when they're watching and think, what does this mean to me? What is this, instead of thinking, what is this supposed to mean? Right? Mm -hmm. So when you are, when your camera is at the level of the actor, you are, you're not thinking, oh, I'm supposed to be impressed by them. And you're not thinking, oh, I'm supposed to be unimpressed by them. You're just thinking, this is a person like me. You know, it's relatable. And so when, even if they're going through a hard time or they're going through a exultant, triumphant moment, it's like, you don't have to be as a viewer, so affected by that in a way that's manipulative. And I think that what it does is it respects the, the audience in that way so that the audience can choose how they feel about it. You know, this is the only thing I would push back against that. So you're talking about above and below and how these have these. Yeah. Are you talking about like visual literacy, visual cinematic right. language, right? Yeah. We didn't create that. That was discovered right. in people right. and how we perceive images. Mm -hmm. So to be like, oh, I don't necessarily want to lead them that way. The general audience doesn't know like low angle gives somebody power necessarily, or at least they don't. No, they don't fully connect that dot. That's like a, it's like a subconscious reaction to an image. Mm -hmm. So it's like, to, I I get what you're saying where you don't want to force feed people, but I think in general it's like. You know, cinematic language has been developed over just how people react to an image, not necessarily that we decided this is this and that is no. that. You know, yeah. there is some kind of a real, uh, I don't know, organic reaction people have to an image and, and just its, it's sure. composition. Um, there was one thing it I wanted to say to Brandon. Organic. We got lost way the hell back there. But <laughs> no, it's okay. no, no, it's all good, John. I was, I'm enjoying what you're saying because there's some things I agree and then sometimes I'm like, well, I don't know. It feels like to me that you you want to try to set people up and rehearse something to nail take one. Is that kind of where you're talking about? Where you're talking about like not, not that to expectation too much. I don't have the expectation of that. You like, but yes, the the freshness yeah. of that is if once you lose that, you lose it. You can't get it back. Well, 
And something you said about actors, some react different. I was on one of the movies, I couldn't even tell you which one, but I noticed by, like, take three, the Mm -hmm. main actor, not even the main actors, the one of the other actors, like, would kind of lose it. I started shooting her her close-ups first. We'd shoot the wide, go into her mids and close-ups. Oh, yeah. And the director, like, it was a conversation he and I had because I noticed it. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, let's just shoot her for, you know, because normally you like give the act, give the main actor the main part of the scene, yeah. but like I actually I remember going to the main act I, again. I don't remember. I just remember the conversation of like, hey, your co-star like kind of loses it after the first few takes. Is it okay if we do theirs first? Oh yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> so they know yeah. to save it. No, because, well that's yeah. You know that's, that's something yeah. that's just observation and sure. learning how to right. each yeah. individual being adaptable yeah. Tells, man and yeah. watching them on the day you know yeah. and that's that's always going to vary I 100% yield to that you know yeah no it's, it's important to notice all those things you know? yeah I think that's good but Brandon we were talking about you're like oh man well I don't I wish I had the time I don't have the time to do that why are we making movies in ways that don't enable us to make the best product possible right why do we have to try to fit these things into this kind of a box it's like okay so we can get all these people involved and have this massive schedule and all these different departments and all this money behind it yet we still can't actually do something even in the ballpark of where we would actually want it to be it's like it feels like things just get overblown it's It's like of course it's money yeah (laughs) it's like yeah I just, it kind of, I hate to hear that. And I know that I know. that's a legitimate constraint and a real restriction. But why the freak do we live <laughs> in a world where we have to allow that to yeah. be our God? That we have to yield to this overpowering force. It's like, no, no, no. Let's make shit the way that we want to make it. And actually make it the way that we want to make it. I mean, uh, it just you comes, know, yeah. it comes I hear you. It, It's the money. It's, it's you know, the, we shot Dropity on $800,000. That was all the money there was. Yeah. How are you supposed to make a 1930s epic with eight hundred thousand dollars? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's the the Bernie Dolphin films. What we we shot with kids on water with animals. Yeah. The first movie was four hundred fifty thousand dollars. The second movie was four hundred thousand dollars. I thought they would have gotten more money for the second. Yeah, you would think so. Who knows? <laughs> That's yeah. why there's not a third. Because um, <laughs> we eventually were like, we just can't. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. the, so there just becomes the a thing. point, yeah. and part of it for me is I have a hard time compromising. So I always feel like I'm pressed for time because I know it could be better. Mm-hmm. But there just comes a point where you're just like, this is good enough, I guess, because mm-hmm. you know I'm I'm the one like I kind of run the set the day of. You know, your first AD that's always like, hey, we got. But I'm the one that's like calling, like, okay, we're ready. I'm the one getting yelled at by day two because we're over, we're on overtime both days, and they're like, there is no budget for overtime. Either you got to cut three people, which is completely insane, or we have to end on time. Yeah. Yeah. Or cut scenes. You know, what am I supposed to say? (laughs) Like, oh no, send these three guys home, and I'll work with a one-person G&E team. Like, that's just Mm. not. You know, that's not. Do you see a lot of productions where people are cutting scenes and moving stuff around? Oh yeah, this? we do it all the time. Yeah, we'll just be like, you know what, the scene. One of the things I've never had to do is I've only ever had to go reshoot one different thing mm-hmm. in the in the movies oh, that's good. that I've done. Now, whether would we have gone and reshot stuff? Like, yeah, we probably would have, but like, 
Yeah. We've been able to make the films without <coughs> any reshoots because mm -hmm. there's just no money left. Yeah. You know, every movie I've done, we've gone over budget by like five to six percent. Right. That sounds pretty typical. Yeah. That's yeah. just going to happen, but those don't happen if we're initially starting out over budget of like, hey, we're going to shoot this in 25 days instead of 18. On the movies that I've done, you're looking at twenty to thirty thousand dollars per day to make a production run, and that's super low cost. Mm -hmm. So it 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 sucks that it's about money because I get my wife hears it all the time. Like I get so frustrated, yeah, because I'm like this could have been. So that's where the pl the pre planning comes in, so that there are moments where I'm like I'm just not, like I'm not compromising here. Yeah. This is just what we're gonna do, mm -hmm. and and going in with the plan because then the fallback is to be safe, and I don't want to do safe. I want to do something that pops and that feels, you know, feels like you're watching a movie. Like you don't want to watch just two people talking the whole time. Yeah. You want to have mm -hmm. some of that flair. So we're trying to give that. So you have to pre-plan for that because you don't have time on the day of to. It's my big, I mean, it's mm. my biggest gripe about my Stop, job. Man. Yeah. And I know you're saying compromise, but I think that some people might misunderstand and think that Brandon doesn't compromise on anything, but it's like, there's what? The time, money, and quality, mm -hmm. right? It's those pick three two. things, yeah. right? Pick two. And often it's, it's de depending on the kind of person, you'll compromise on one of these things. Yeah. And so you won't let the others go and that's a good decision, right? You're making a, a decision. And um, so it sounds like you're saying you won't compromise on on uh, quality, maybe? Yeah, quality is But maybe always, time. Yeah. I think that's the case for a lot of people is we have to compromise on time because we need the money to survive and we don't want a, uh, quality to go. So, um, and that's, I think that's a good decision. Like yeah, but how do you achieve quality without time? Well, if you needed more time, and you know, well, it is possible. I think that it it comes. You know, yes, you're in in distress to some in some ways, but you. I think you have to stick by your guns as it comes to like, we're gonna have to shoot this a certain way, yeah. right? Yes, we have to do it quickly, but we have to do it this way. Um, I can't tell you how many sets I've been on where we start out the first part of the day taking as much time as we want, blah, blah, blah. And then by the end <laughs> of then, it, we are just, like, trying to fly through it because you're just like, well, we don't, like, we can't, we're not even going to have this location tomorrow. Yeah. We got to finish, you See, know. See, I yeah. get, like, that makes sense to me. But mm -hmm. in, like, in a hypothetical world where I'm thinking about time, quality, and money, right. the thing where I can, like, ingenuity will serve me best is going to be coming up against money. Right. Finding ways of doing things for less. Finding a smarter, more efficient way of doing something and allow myself the time to achieve the quality that I want right. and scale back the money. You know? So I'm, me, I'm on the like same shit, boat. You know, and I know that this is in a hypothetical world. You're, yeah. you're a working yeah. professional and I'm not. You know, <laughs> So I get that. But just yeah. as a dreamer, as a filmmaker, it's like, man, I want to find ways of trying. And, it's, and I know that it's, it's obviously... A bit, uh, you know, far-fetched, but it just feels like, man, we can change it a little bit. Mm -hmm. We can get it more to serve the way that we want to do things yeah. right? and how our passions lead us. As opposed to just I agree. serving, you know, the overlord 
It's like, no, right. no, that's not what this is really about. You know, let's get a little, get the wheels turning a little bit more. Find, you know, the mm -hmm. money, the money is the real. I mean, it's not even, it's not it, even know? just uh, an independent thing. The unions right now, especially my unions, the, the camera and the lighting and, and electric unions are having a big knockdown fight of like these 14 hour days, this isn't going to fly. You gotta either give us more money or you gotta cut down hours because they're like Netflix shows and, and other shows are doing base 14 days. That is completely unacceptable. And so the unions are starting to fight back. Yeah. I am almost positive that there is going to be a labor strike probably starting next, next year. As pilot season starts coming up sometime in February and March, the, the technicians and the camera and, and a lot of other, that's the other part, it's a lot of other unions are rallying behind this, like, no, we're not doing base pay 14-hour days. Like, that's just, yeah. you're not even giving us turnarounds at that point. So it's not just an us thing. The thing that's going to work for the unions is they have the money to, to do that. Mm -hmm. But as an independent that is dreaming of making movies, if someone comes to you and says, here's $800,000 to make a movie, you're gonna jump at that, right? But then you see mm -hmm. the scale of the movie and you go, how is this possible? How are we gonna <laughs> do this? So you do get smart, you do get resourceful. Mm. So it's kind of that balance of like, we're gonna make it the absolute best that we can, but within the constraints yeah. of this movie should have been a $5 million movie, but I got $800,000 mm -hmm. to do it. How, how am I going to do it? Yeah, so there's, a, there's compromises that have to happen. It, just, it always yeah. occurs to me when I watch a movie and then I spend the last 15 minutes of my life watching names go by on the screen. Yeah, right. man, there you go. You're talking about a shitload of people. It's mm -hmm. like, I get it. Everybody probably did something. Did there need to be that many people? find it hard to believe now you had to be now the bigger the bigger films you know you can thank the unions like, for that you yeah. know yeah and, and i'm sure and it's like man i just think that the film has been taken away from who it belongs to in a sense and in a lot of ways and i know that this is just stupid shit talking i, I don't really care it's what we do <laughs> half the time. but you know what i'm saying in a in a in a real little perfect world man there's too many people it costs too much money we focus on the money too much as opposed to you know trying to give ourselves a time mm -hmm. to achieve the quality that we want of course it's in a perfect little world but it's like yeah. why can't we especially in a time in an age when hollywood is terrible yeah and it's and that's it's a propaganda it machine yeah it's really this is what i didn't want to get into when you guys were talking earlier why i got quiet and i'm not going to go all the way there but especially today when Hollywood is is on the edge, man. Yeah. You know, it's like they can't survive the way that they are trying to make movies no. these days anymore. So there's, if ever, an opportunity to create a new product and say, well, this is how movies actually could be made. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be the way that they've always done it. Right. The system did function at one point, but it's overblown, and there's no reason why we can't do it. Here's this other product. You know, here's yeah. what we can offer for. Less people, less money, but better quality. Mm -hmm. You can't tell me there's no way to not achieve well, better quality than the films been, that they're making. You can. That's it's been the independent obvious. film Ethos, yeah. approach. Since, I mean, Kevin Smith, my friend, yeah. Kevin Smith, yeah. shot his mm -hmm. first movie for $24,000. Now, 
There you go. If you Clerks. take that movie now and make it now, does that movie have the same impact? I He will even tell you, I've heard him say, you couldn't make Clerks now because it wouldn't do anything. It would just go to the wayside. So whoever invested your $24,000 at that point, whether it was you, which was it was all Kevin, or if you had investors and you're making no money, are you gonna, what are you gonna do then? You're not gonna be able to make the second one. Kevin is very lucky and he will tell you from his mouth that he is incredibly lucky. There was one person sitting in the screening that liked the film, who was an agent, uh, like a distributor, distributing agent, called some people, mm-hmm. uh, called the Weinsteins, and was like, "Hey, we, I have, I might have something," and that's how Kevin Smith became Kevin Smith. It's funny though that you 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 were saying that Kevin said this couldn't happen today, but I actually think it could, and I think the problem is that there's not that one person in the screening going, "We can do something with this twenty-four thousand dollar picture." So to me, what, what you're saying, Tim, is that to me the problem is Hollywood. It's that they're not looking for these $24,000 pictures. They're not looking to make them rich and famous. They're not looking to, they've already got their own product and they don't need these little indie filmmakers, you know, messing with what they're doing. And so I think there's an agenda in Hollywood that has become too important to Hollywood. And sadly, it, it isn't even money anymore, it seems like. You know, like, um, I don't know what it is, but I think that we, the great thing is we can make $24,000 pictures as vital or more vital even than Clerks today. And the question is, is it going to become anything as it comes to like a career? Is it going to become anything as it comes to like, uh, you know, um, Kind of like, is it going to affect people? Is it going to be distributed and reach people? Do you have the opportunity to like be shown in a form to where, right. given yep. the chance to even? And those gateways yeah. might be closed yeah. now. Where back then and they were. That's you know, what he's. That's basically what he's saying is. Yeah. You know, but the whole well, you could do it. Great. Right. Yeah. You could do it. You can do it, man. I really. I don't. So who's going to watch trust, it? You know, what are they making these days, man? What is so groundbreaking? You know, and like you talk about independent film, of course. I mean, that was the first step outside of the studio system. But in a lot of ways, what has independent film become besides, like, the elites getting to make their little passion projects, which take Hollywood A-list directors and every, you know, A-list technician Mm -hmm. in the fucking industry. So it's like, what is independent film anymore? It's not. It's, It's like, it's vacation for the... For right. the, you know, the, the elites, man. Event, the you know? hard part about where we're at today, and I feel stole this, it. is you've got to build an audience, and by the time you build an audience, you're part of the system. Right. That That's just, it's true. Like, it's, yeah. that's, so to make, let's take Lady of the Manor. Something has Justin Long and, and his brother Christian. We have Judy Greer, Melanie Linsky, Ryan Felipe doing independent uh, not not self-funded, but small funding, like independent in the real sense that there's not right. a studio involved. Right. That movie's not going to make its money back. It's like a $2.5 million film, but because they have such little distribution, even though we have names in it, we have people passionate about the project. It's Justin and Christian are directing the film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're going to have a... I shouldn't say it won't. 
I should say it's going to have a very difficult time to make a dent enough in the culture right. for them to. And they were trying to do exactly what you're talking about. And they already had the audience. Yeah. Justin's not known mm-hmm. as, as a director, but he's, no, he's known. I like Justin. I've talked a lot with Justin. He's passionate about making Lady of the Manor because he saw it as a way to kind of do what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. They, he wanted to take risks. Yeah. Uh, how does that... So, I think what I'm saying is how... How are you going to make... You can say, okay, we'll make it for less money, we'll make it less people, da 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 But then how are you going to reach into the social conscious? And it, it's been done at times, Napoleon mm-hmm. Dynamite. Right. That reached... Yeah. That reached way into... Of like I still did. quote that movie. Oh, man, yeah. it's a great film. You know, there's other movies that have been made for, like, Primer. But that's such a small 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 percentage of movies that are made like okay let's let's all go make a seven thousand dollar film 50 times how many of those (laughs) are going to get seen and and their money made through their system probably none of them i'm just saying i think i'm saying in the current yeah yeah for sure i think that you have to create a new system I think that you have to go around them 100%. That you can't try mm-hmm. to make something and tap into their their revenue stream or like their system. I think that something new has to come about. So we're, about so we're you, are you talking about like a website that's like Netflix that is going to show cuz there there are those mm-hmm. sites out yeah. there. Yeah, there's stuff like that, but I I think John ponders this kind of shit more than yeah. I do. I know he's got <laughs> a lot more ideas about this kind of thing, but I think we both came to this in our own little world, in our own thought process. That I think that the system is corrupted, whole, you know, through and through. And I don't think that it serves on the behest of every movie viewer out there. And I think that you can create something that can have enough of an audience to create something new on, you know, in a different part yeah, of this country. Yeah. And you know and create an audience and build something new but I think that it also does have to deal with brick and mortar I don't think that we're giving up on that in a concept I don't think it just all takes place digitally you know or like you know in our living rooms or or that kind Mm -hmm. of thing Um, I don't I don't you know it's it's hard to say but uh, yeah I know he thinks about it more than I do it's an uphill battle hope in it you know about the possibility of it you know you've seen it done in other countries I mean it's like how did you know neorealist film make a splash in the world? Because at least the world was still open to seeing something new, yep. mm-hmm. and you know, industry sort of allowed for it. The industry these days, I don't think, is really allowing for much else other than its product and what it right. churns out, and it's all one unified voice almost. Every mm-hmm. once in a while, one one pops up. Um, mm-hmm. What's the found footage horror film that was? The big Blair Witch one, or well, not after that, that, not that one, but like, um, yeah, it's made for super cheap. Paranormal Activity. Yes. Or, oh yeah, that yeah. One? Mm-hmm. That one. Okay. Sometimes it just they reach out and they <coughs> and it Excuse it hits. Me. It hits. Yeah, it makes um, a difference. I think the hardest part is we have to have money to survive. I have to get a, I have to get paid. 
I these films that come at me that are like, hey, we'll pay you on the back end. I'm like, I'm sorry, I I got two kids, wife, house. Like, I mm -hmm. <laughs> I'd love to help you, but I, money. there's just yeah. no way for me to do that. You know, I'd like to see a system that can work for people like that. But in the current climate, the best thing we have going for people that want to do something like that is the internet. Is getting yeah. it, putting on YouTube, putting it, you know getting it out there because basically you're just like all the other influencers out there you're trying to build a brand Jason Blum with Blumhouse has done a phenomenal job A24 who anything A24 comes out with I'm like I'm watching that movie mm -hmm. those are still a certain level but that's technically an independent film right because they they give so much and that's one reason I watch them is because they give so much in artistic integrity yeah to the and so i would love to work on something that's that is in that realm right you know i don't want to work for paramount i don't want to work for for yeah, fox or 20th century or and that's that's not who i want to work for what i want to work for is someone like blumhouse a24 or any, any of mm -hmm. the smaller independent distributors productions financing right because they give so much freedom and so I think that those are the ones doing it right. But yeah. even those movies have such a hard time piercing the outer bubble. Mm -hmm. You know, you have what was like uh, a ghost story. I yeah. freaking loved that movie. It was fun. But it's a strange movie, but it's it's good. I mean, it's eight twenty four. Yeah. You know, so. And so, like having okay. having that uh, approach that they do. I think is a lot of what you're talking about, and they're, but they're just having a hard time. You know, they have fanboys like me that everything that says A24, I'm like, all right, yeah, let's go. It's hard for them to, you know, to capture that audience because that's what it is. The more eyeballs you have, the more money you're gonna make. And Hollywood, yeah. Disney, for over anybody has more eyeballs than mm -hmm. anybody right now. Anybody's ever had. How do you go? Yeah. You know, how do you go up against it? I, yeah. I think part of the problem is is weighting a film based on its returns, right? So you say, okay, how do you yeah. make your money back? Well, just make a movie for less money, scale it back, bring it down. So then, okay, you make a ten thousand dollar movie. If you find some way of drumming up twenty grand by through streaming or by distribution, okay, so you made money and people do get paid, and you start to build a little audience, and that can right. snowball into something more. And I. I mean, John, go ahead. Say some of the... I know you think about these things a lot. <laughs> Let's hear what what's the master plan? Because I'm on board, damn it. Whatever it's going to be. Because no. I'm not that guy, man. I don't have the master plan. But There's no master plan, but it's like a lot of contingency plans and ideas that are like, this could happen or this could happen or this could happen. It's going to depend a lot on society, to be frank. You know, what, what society will accept. And, and, you know, like speaking of the internet, it's like... The internet's kind of our saving grace, but it's at the same time it's like it degrades the experience of film viewing in many ways. But maybe it's not so much about that as it is about just the overall health of the industry. So, you know, money does have to do, you know, it is, it is about money also, but it, I agree with you, Tim, that it's also about like, let's just reduce the amount of risk you know like hollywood's so risk averse to so just reduce the amount of risk and also invest more in people that are kind of uh, 
change, you know, going to change your ethos and change the conventional thinking, basically. Um, but you know, I think there needs to be a place where people can play and experiment, and then from there, kind of be discovered, like like Kevin Smith was. Um, and you're right, Brandon, that there are places in the industry where you can play and like A24 and that you can have some vital impact. Um, I also think that one thing we forget about is that it really is about storytelling and it's not just about storytelling, it's about good storytelling. Um, a lot of us want to be involved in film, we love film, you know, film, films have changed our lives in many ways. And so as a result, like for example, with the faith-based industry, it's like we're Christians, like you're a Christian, Tim's a Christian, I'm a Christian. So we know a little bit about this where it's like the faith-based genre, and it is a genre, it's not just like good intentions, it's making Christian films, no, it's actually a genre. And so if, when you stay in those lines of, of making faith-based films, you get rewarded by um, the audience, which is a built-in audience to some degree, which is why they've made some money and been able to survive. But it's like, <clears throat> how do we improve on um, finding a new audience and building that audience when you're always stuck in these genres? You have to be able to go outside of that at some point and change kind of like the convention. So. <clears throat> in many ways, the problem is the viewers. Like, the problem often is the fans. And so, you know, that's not something we want to bring light to because it makes it look like we don't like the fans or we don't like it. That's not the case. But what we want is we want something that fans will appreciate and throw money at. Because what they're then doing is they're having a conversation with us and saying, I want more of this. This is what I like. And so I think what we've missed as artists is that, no, it's not just about giving them a product or making content. It's about making damn good product. And so you don't even call it product anymore. You call it like myth or you call it something that's more beautiful and meaningful and impactful because that's what we have to shoot for. So when Kevin Smith was making this $24,000 picture, what made it work wasn't the fact that it was $24,000. Like, I could care less. It was that it was a different kind of story that we just weren't used to. He was willing to break some conventional mold. And I think that's what we're missing. We're thinking a lot about the technical aspects of how do I shoot this film for cheaper or how do I you know, avoid having to deal with the unions, or how do I distribute this? It's useful, but it's, it's also missing the point. I think what we have to do is just focus our energies on making the best stories possible. And how do we do that? Get in touch with the best writers we know, um, and believe in ourselves as great storytellers so that we can continue to refine it and continue to like glom on to these great stories so that we're making them better. And I think that has to do with community, really. Um, because there's a community of people who perfect each other. They, like iron sharpens iron, 
they get with each other and they say, this script is not good enough. Like, you need something more. Instead, what we do is we go to our little festivals and we pat each other on the back and we say, you made a film, that's so great. I'm sorry, for me, that's not enough. It's just not enough. Like, I don't want people telling me that my film was good. And then they're expecting me to come up with the same tripe. You know, and it, and it is tripe because I'm a beginning filmmaker. So it sh it, it, it's, it's going to be nonsense. Like, instead, what I want them to tell me is, this is how it needs to improve. This is what you can do. I know a guy who can do this for you. If you want visual effects, I know how we can acquire this. You know, if you want a better actor, I know some people in Miami or wherever, Atlanta, and this is what we're missing. You know, Hollywood really made its bones on community. Like, it really, there's a social aspect to Hollywood, you know, where you have the meetings and you have the parties and you have these things that are about building community, you know. And we look on it and we say, oh, that's so hedonistic and disgusting, you know. And sometimes it is. But, but, but the there's also, the right, there's also something real happening there where they're like, you know, well, we need a comedy actor. And I know somebody, and I've seen their shtick, and this would work perfect for your script. And that's just not happening where we are. It's not here, you know? So that's really what we're missing, is we're missing a community of people who really care about film and storytelling to the degree that they're willing to really put their opinion out there and insult some people, you know what I mean? Like. Not in a bad way, but in a loving, um, purifying way, where it's like, no, we need to do better. Like, purifying hurts. You know, iron sharpens iron hurts. But it's, you know, so it's a cult, it's in many ways a cultural problem. You know, we're dealing with the problem of manhood and the problem of like society. Um, kind of losing its oats, losing its strength and its courage to tell stories that are vital, you know, like life-changing stories. So, you know, like, <clears throat> like you were talking about The Matrix, it's like some people would say The Matrix, how can you say that's your favorite film? But, you know, because it seems so maybe mainstream or whatever, but the reasons that it was your favorite film is because of the story. And it was so vital as it comes to like a life-changing story, like what it says about life. And that's what Blade Runner was for me. <clears throat> and I think that those are really the favorite stories that we, that change your life. It's, it's not because of, just because of the craft. It's not just because, you know, it was like a Marvel blockbuster or whatever, and the hype around it. It's because there's like, um, storytelling there that's really deeply power, powerful and impact, impactful, you know? So I think ultimately that's what we need to do. We can make, and, and the truth is, like I've been to the American film market and, you know, as a producer and talking to people about the kind of stuff that they want, you know, and these distributors want. And the truth is, there's a lot of good intentions. And it's not just all about money. 
that's a big part of it, but really, honestly, if they were able to see another Kevin Smith thing that was that was really changing the the conventions, I think they would often buy it and they would often pay a lot for it. But they're just not seeing it. There's a lot of like derivative work, you know? And so I just think we have to challenge ourselves to do to really look deeper and say, if we really want to change something, we, we can't just do it by wanting to do it or noticing a problem and saying, let's fix the problem. We have to really dig deeper and say, um, there's a reason this is not impacting society. And it's because it's just not powerful enough storytelling. You know, bam, it hurts. But it's like, we have to do better. I think they try to make it so formulaic that nothing is really diverging the mold. Yeah, it like even affects saying, us, the artists. Like, like you say, you need something that's powerful. Well, yeah. you're just trying to, you know, recreate what made money five years ago and it had this much of a return on a budget. Well, why don't we just craft something that's just like that, only slightly different, and, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's become so formulaic. Right. And that's dominating. You know, it is like our hopes and our dreams and where we wish we could finally get to a point of being able to do these things freely it's like well no because you're just going into a system of you know right kind of oppression propping up the same know, system the people i mean in some yeah. ways i don't brand it, i'm being a little not to get too political but yeah, it's like you know just you know even just like say you know as a creative person and how stifled you would be trying to work within that that system I mean mm -hmm. they're pretty unless you're Christopher Nolan and you really just got to make Dunkirk and make you're however not, many millions yourself but also yeah. make a freaking movie you've been dying to make it's a passion project exactly the way you wanted to make it mm -hmm. it's like Jesus man that's not gonna be me I know that I'm not yeah gonna, or know, any one of us it's like you know, crying out loud who, who until, is gonna get to that until I mean, we blow somebody away with something that's pretty rare or yeah you know yeah so I would I'm, love to see him make yeah. a western actually wouldn't I'd that be something make just about anything but yeah western. <laughs> we need more westerns in this world damn it yeah man no but John I agree with you I think what you're saying is makes a lot of sense to me in ways that we just need to step it up it's storytelling and me myself and how I think it it's like I'm more a technical guy I'm more about like composition or the tone or the way a movie feels as opposed to am I really making something that's changing or really have an effect on somebody emotionally more so than something that lingers in the consciousness because it had so much mood or yeah. tone to it you know that's right. kind of more so where I try to steer things into and because a, I mean, part of it is that you have to really rely on good acting to mm -hmm. pull off that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, that's, that has to be present, and that's tough on the level that I definitely work on. I know, Brandon, you're more professional and in the industry, you know, in a lot of ways, and so you probably come across far better actors than, than I'm ever privy to, you know, but that's always a restriction, mm -hmm. you know, for trying to make something that really can bring somebody to move people mm -hmm. into tears or you know whatever you right know? and uh, like you say tapping in some mythological type stuff and, and just I don't know take it back to like 
Comer and that kind of shit. It's possible though to do some good casting and storytelling. If you have a few thousand bucks, you can get like Bobby Hill's a local casting director, and she could get some people from up in Georgia or anywhere really. A lot of people are willing to travel. It can happen, but you know you got to really know what you want, and you got to be willing to spend a little bit of money. You know. What do you think? You know, being being in the industry and have been around films that were fifty thousand all the way up to one point five, and then also talking with other people, there is an idealization that we could do this, but I also feel like the consumer is telling Hollywood what they want. They're watching, you know. Certain movies do really well. Those are generally Marvel or based on or whatever. And then the movies that Hollywood does put out that are even a little different, the consumer doesn't go to watch it. So, of course, they're going to be more conservative with their approach. In the day and age that we are, to tell unique stories, we still have to have the money. And that's what, I mean, that's what it comes, again, that's what it just comes down to. I, I wish it wasn't that way, but that's, that's what it, nobody's going to invest $50,000 into a movie that doesn't make, that makes $12,000 back, and they're not going to do it again and again and again. And how many people have $50,000 laying around to just invest? Yeah. So that's what you're, it's basically the whole idea of like Kickstarter. You're looking for benefactors that have the discretionary income to, and it just, it, it costs money mm -hmm. to get me onto a commercial. And I'm, I'm like, I'm experienced, but I'm not big time. It costs $2,500 a day for, for me plus camera. That's just per day. That's not including any, any extra, extra rentals that I need to do for my gaffer, for any of the lighting that we have to do, for any of the grips. I have to have an AC. Like, there's, you know, looking at having me and everybody come out, it's like four to $5,000. Then that's low. Mm -hmm. Because we have to provide for our families as well. I make a very modest living doing what I make a living what I'm doing, but I make a very modest living at what I'm doing. So I've kind of hit this point of like, I want to do movies, but I still have to maintain, yeah. you know, and, and yeah. that's, that is hard when you start adding all of that up and going, crap, like, I want to make a, I want to make the best short film that I can, a six minute short film. Right. You're looking at probably five days worth of stuff. Okay, well now I'm kind of looking at like sixty or seventy thousand dollars to like really do, and that's that's like talking like building sets and and having time and, and stuff. Madness. Yeah, that's yeah. That's see that that's and for sure. That's too. where I think I think there's <laughs> no this way, disconnect of yeah. yeah. We can make these low budget things and they'll be great. I, we we've all seen it. We've all seen unexperienced people make great things just because they're that they're just that talented that is just uh bo burnham just did uh his he did a special during quarantine literally oh, I heard him about this. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. 
I in one room, yeah. and but he's just he's <laughs> that great. talented. Yeah. Um, I think that's what we have to do. Is we have to be that yes, talented. Yes, you have to be. And yeah. how many of those people are in the world? There's one Bo Burnham that I know of. Yeah. And because he's an incredible, he, I mean, as an actor, he's whatever. But like as a musician, as a lyricist, uh, some of the shots that he came up with in one single room were very interesting. He edited all of it. He sound mixed all of it. Like how many of those are are out there? And those mm -hmm. are the people that do get recognized. And he was already a famous stand-up anyways. But I feel like that is what is going to propel him in the future to yeah. bigger mm -hmm. and better better things. Sure. He And he had done a movie called Eighth Grade. Uh, that he directed yeah, that beforehand. Was good. Yeah, so that's that's Bo Burnham. Actually a pretty good um, film. Multi-talented, and I just think that's kind of where we are. Mm -hmm. uh, it's. I wish there was a more ideal situation, and then when Hollywood started, that's probably what it was. I mean, that was part of the reason they moved to Hollywood was, you know, it was too expensive in on the East Coast to to make things. So that's why we, they moved to Hollywood and started doing the spaghetti mm -hmm. westerns because they were cheap. You could make like six of them for the price of one movie that you were making on the East Coast. Mm -hmm. Well, just Western. Yeah. yeah, but you know the that you know just being out, and so that's how it kind of got built up. Sure. Can we make that in Florida? Because most of the talent that is that ends up moving. Right. I'm not gonna lie, I've looked at moving and have still continued to look at it. I because think Georgia. Sure. Yeah, Georgia. How did Georgia build it? Right, they had to they bring had people over from Hollywood. Yep. Yeah, and they gave. They basically, but Georgia now, said, "Here's your thirty-five percent back. No questions asked. Yeah, we're not. Sure, we don't care. Thirty-five percent back on every." Well, they dollar. were building something. Yeah, because yeah. they were building it, and Vancouver is the one who started all of it. Yeah, when Vancouver gave their film incentive, they had no infrastructure. Yeah, they didn't think anybody was going to even. And when they started, when things started moving up there. Then they built a whole a whole community. It's smart though, because yeah, that's what you're doing is you're building communities, and so then if Hollywood did leave, you know, they could still make tons of films in Atlanta. Yeah. You know, sadly, it didn't work out in Michigan. Uh, Charlotte, I think, same thing. Yeah, right. It's like almost worked, but I think that they just weren't didn't do it long enough to really build up the infrastructure yep. and all the work, the the um, labor force and everything. And all the programs making keeping these things going, um, but like I think I think I think Georgia could pull it off, like um, Vancouver, Louisiana. And, uh, yeah. So, so can so my question so is can Florida? I think we'd have to be a satellite of Georgia, unless we changed something and did something similar to what Georgia did. I think that and 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 the funny thing is too is I think that we couldn't do exactly what Georgia did. We would have to do something different, and I think that what we ha what would have to do is appeal to indie filmmakers, not to Hollywood. And so that so basically what that is is uh, give uh, smaller portions of money out, but do more projects, and it has nothing to do with bringing in people. It has to do with local, locally originated project projects. So, so a lot of counties. Are, are working on that. Um, I know Tony Armour has been working on it for countless as long as hours. he's been. Yeah. Been, you know, I, I know Tony pretty well. Uh, I know that Hillsborough County has, I know that, uh, is it 
I think it's Sarasota. Is it Sarasota County? I think so. Um, but yeah, they, yeah. But they have, County, they yeah. have a, uh, a small film incentive. A lot of people don't know about them, so they have a hard time. But right. you also have to meet certain certain thresholds, um, which for like incredibly independent, like small time filmmakers, is kind of hard to mm -hmm. to reach. Um, you know, I see stuff a lot of times that are like, "Hey, non-paid <laughs> IMDb credit." Like, that's great, but you're not gonna no, get. It's not, yeah. You know, you're not. You're gonna not get people that are experienced and in this industry most positions i don't want to say all of them because a director could just have a natural knack but right. you have to have some level of experience yeah to really make to actually make good yeah. stuff yeah i think that's why i think ringling was smart to do what they did and i think that they understand enough about this to know that it's your department heads it's your key players yep. you get your key you, you throw some money to your key players and you get some people that know what they're doing Everybody else could be nobodies. Like everybody else could be PAs, it doesn't yeah. matter. But, you know, as long as there's some people there who care about film and they want to learn, you know, like they want to learn these other positions, like that's, that's how you can make, I think, good cheap films. Yeah. So I'm not like, I'm not arguing for the Hollywood system, but what I'm saying is there has to be a compromise because money does make this thing move. Right. But does it need? But can we make things? Let's. So one of my favorite filmmakers, Shane Carruth, Primer, uh, Upstream Color, and then I think he had a, a recent one. Okay. Yeah, Shane Carruth. Yeah, yeah, Upstream Color. What did he do after that? Don't quite remember. Yeah. Um, but. But yeah, he's the good. The dude is incredibly resourceful. But again, like Bo Burnham, he's just he oozes with that talent mm -hmm. we have to find those people here there are people dominic smith no kidding i think is one yeah. of the most talented filmmakers i've ever been around yep the dude has not been given much of a chance until recently now he's kind of getting some some traction but that guy if he could get a community to fully support him and surround him i think he could do some crazy good stuff that's why he was our first uh, interview well he we didn't interview him but we, we've talked about what he did first yeah because I, I agree you know my friend my <clears throat> friend Kevin O'Brien like small time filmmaker out of Lakeland he went to work for Diamond View and is now like their main director in a span of a couple months just because cool. he was given a chance he was propped up yeah. Diamond View is again a huge company, or is growing to be a huge company that saw the potential. So we have to find the people that have the potential right. and help yeah. drive them to the front. Yeah. And the hard part about this industry is everybody thinks that they're that person. Yeah. Of course. That is <laughs> it's so a big mistake. hard to look somebody in the eye and be like, you ain't it, man. Yeah. You, you know, I've seen stuff you've done you're you know yeah it's, and it's not meant to be an insult what i think what it is is that people uh don't understand community community building all the time and it's because the internet has changed our view of uh, and our understanding of community we think that social media is community and it's just not yeah 
it just can't do what community is. Community is giving unselfishly to others. And so uh, in order to create something, you know, and so um, we're not doing that because like you said, people are thinking of themselves or they're mm -hmm. thinking of, they think they're the best thing. Or at least they understand where they're going and they don't understand where someone else is going and so they don't want to throw all this energy and money and resources into somebody else, you know, when they at least could be helped believing in themselves and pushing themselves forward. But what they're missing is that, you know, kind of similarly to our discussion of before about trusting a DP, it's like you can accomplish a lot more when you extend a little bit of trust to somebody and then, you know, it's kind of like, as people say, right, you're, you're, um, you're more than the sum of your parts when you're together. So um, if we do that, you know, if, if we are willing to risk a little bit of self, you know, like some, some ego, then I, we can accomplish a lot more. It doesn't necessarily have to be us giving in ways that are that we're not capable or able or willing to give. But what we can do is give something that we're skilled at giving. And it's kind of like a lawyer doing pro bono work or something, right? It's like every now and then give to the community, whether it's instruction, whether it's financial, whether it's equipment, whether it's, you know, just something we can do for the community. And that helps build up something so you know like how I was saying before about story right I think what people should be doing in communities it could start in places like where we have here with film bar Mondays or it could start in another way but basically it's like let's make a script and let's make it the best script that we can make it we could even start with an existing script or a script writer and say what are you writing like l let me see all your stuff and let's see if maybe we can make one of these scripts into a, into a feature film. So we're gonna like refine this. We're gonna like talk about it. We're gonna like, you know, have some professional writers come in that have done something in the past. And we're going to refine this thing. And so then we start there and say, hey, I got this script. Uh, let's pass it around. And then somebody's like, well, I got some money or I got some equipment or I got this, I'll at least throw it into this project. Why? Because I believe in this project. Why? Because we've been refining it for the last year. Like this is a really good story. So, so what we're doing is we're, 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 we're like looking at a target and the target is how to change Hollywood or the target is how to make my next door neighbor cry when they watch this movie. You know what I'm saying? Like it's it's more than just I like I like this story or I like this idea. It's like how do we affect people, right? How do we how do we make waves in the world? And so then we're shooting for this concept that is more ambitious story-wise. We put all this energy and love into it. And then I think things can happen from that, right? you've got a group of people who already believe in a project. It's not as hard when you're going to AFM if you've got a crew of people who 
who are behind this project. But if you're just like one dude, one, <coughs> one lady going to AFM, like you're hanging all your hopes on this script that you've not even shared with anybody, and you're like, I can become something great. Like that's really bold and brave and cool and stuff. And I, you know, I, I clap for you. Like I applaud you, but work smarter, not harder, right? And, and in this case, smarter means less about us. Smarter means more about story. Like if we really are storytellers, it's gotta be more about the story than it is about us, you know? So I, I think if we really wanna make an impact, and this is, has been the problem, I think, is we're not gonna change anybody and change anything if, if all we're doing is we're sitting in our own world and we just believe it's possible. You have to do more than that. You have to put a lot of our own ego aside. You have to think about kind of like, how did these movements happen anyway? Like look throughout history. It wasn't just some dude in his basement making this happen, no. It was a movement of people together, communities changing things. And, you know, and, and also they weren't just some schmo who wasn't that good at storytelling. No, they were incredible storytellers. Like these are people who we still remember today that are like, wow, that was really good stuff. You know, like it's mind blowing stuff. So we can't think that we are always gonna be the next Spielberg. Like that's just not probably gonna happen. But what we can do is maybe have a goal and focus on story and maybe we could be a great screenwriter or maybe we could be a great director one day or maybe we could be a great cinematographer. You know, and somebody who, if we put the time and energy into improving ourselves and improving on each other, you know, because we're gonna have a lot of kind of like blind, blind spots in our lives. And if you don't have someone there with you to show you some of these blind spots, you're really not gonna get better in, in these areas. So we need each other to really get better. And that's again, why community is so essential, you know? So I keep talking about that a lot, but that's, you know, and this podcast itself does come up from Film Bar Mondays and the idea that our communities have been kind of weak sauce, you know, or, or non-existent. So that's from my understanding, you know, that's kind of <clears throat> how I look at it. So we, I think we need to, we have a, we have a short, uh, we have a, a blind side there, yeah. I think. Yeah, I mean, it's who you surround yourself with and getting that break and you know, who knew my first feature would be some random dudes that I met at a meetup. Yeah, man. And talk to like two or That's three times. That's how stuff happens. And just they like my work and like me and led to, you know, working on that with Tony and Nick and then doing some of the other projects with them. Like, yeah. It's yeah, bro. That's, <laughs> that's how it happens. So I want to get back to doing more creative stuff, which hopefully in the future, in the, in the near future, it looks like I will be. Um, mm -hmm. But 
you know, also got to put that family first and do yeah, those man. commercials and. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you got to, you know. That's good. Man. My wife is the one who can do that. I, I'm not as good at that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm I'm in the position of supporting my wife right now. She builds her own business. Um, oh, that's good. But I'm been yeah. established enough that I can make enough for us to. So I have to be careful of what I mm -hmm. take and turn turn down and who it's I'm true. saying, oh, I'm doing this movie now and, and I'm not thinking I'm available for hire because mm -hmm. if I'm not, then that project falls through, then... Right. Uh, yeah, you got to juggle then, all those things. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, my wife, and me, me and my wife in many ways are the opposite of what you're saying. So my wife's doing that work and I'm building a business on the side for me <laughs> for for the family so that later on I can be doing that work hopefully but uh, yeah being freelance for a while was not working for me as well as it is for you I mean you know? I think you know if you want to be a writer director I get asked all the time how do I be a writer director uh, I don't <laughs> why know, are you dude. asking me I don't, you know I you your own path but for me I think because I showed no interest and again that ego part of it like I showed yeah. no interest in being a director I don't yeah. want to be a director right but having the, the technical prowess even when I was starting out mm -hmm. I think really helped me grow because I wasn't trying to take anybody's like project or whatever like I was right. just I was the guy trying to help make it better yeah. and making myself better and not that I'm great now but you no, know, you're great. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, ten years of of experience of of doing this, like you kind of you learn a few it's things. Gonna, yeah, it's gonna change you. You know, you build up and and gain knowledge and gain friendships. You know, I met some of my best friends through through this industry. Um, mm -hmm. So it's just been, as I said earlier, like there was at one point I was like, should I do something else? And then I, after like thirty minutes of thinking about that I was like no I, nobody will pay me for anything and actually you know I think I'm actually okay at this, you enjoy at this it, job yeah. <laughs> when you know what you like it makes a difference man yep. yeah well really great talking to you bro yeah thank I'm you so guys glad you came out for from Plant we'll, City we'll come out we'll do a part two on. later <laughs> yeah man after, maybe after Kilroy's release yeah, or something after, you know. after that I'll shoot yeah. you know, get a couple of the movies and yeah, come back. Awesome. Do it all over. Thanks, bro. Thanks, guys. All right. <laughs> so next time. This has been John Croft and Tim Mannix wishing you happy trouble-free filmmaking to our film community and happy networking at Film Bar Mondays. Brandon D. Hyde can be found online at bdhyde.com. That's bdhide.com. His films, Paradise, Florida, Birdie the Dolphin 1 and 2, and Draupadi Unleashed can be found online on various streaming platforms. Paradise, Florida itself can be found on YouTube for free. The Film Bar Review is made in association with the local Florida and Georgia-based film networking events called Film Bar Mondays which takes over bars and breweries on Monday nights to bring filmmakers and actors together across the spectrum of experience to have a drink, discuss the industry and our battle stories. 
In this case, we're discussing locally made films. We critique them, and we give a voice to the people who work on them. Join us Monday nights in cities like Atlanta, Georgia, Jacksonville, Florida, and Tampa, Florida to have a drink and talk film. Reach out at thefilmbarreview at gmail.com and find Film Bar Mondays at our various group pages on Facebook.